2: Howdy, howdy, what's going on, <laughs> we're, we're doing a show, sorry uh, we got started a little late guys, um, the the Mebo says that I'm banned in some way, I can't imagine how I got banned unless you know, Facebook listened to the show, mm. I suppose that might get us banned, <laughs> <laughs> or, or YouTube, I don't know, maybe somebody went, Meah. having too much fun, I guess, man, <laughs> I mean I'm trying to think I'm like trying to think of specific things that might have upset somebody and there are definitely many specific things that are probably a terms of
3: service violation. Hmm. Yeah, you're in serious trouble, Aaron. <laughs> freedom of speech, man. Serious fucking trouble. This is what we this <laughs> yeah. is
2: what we get. Well, it's 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 freedom of of speech unless it upsets somebody. That's exactly how unless it works. Unless it now. upsets exactly one person. <laughs> Welcome to episode 95. Of the motherfucking podcast. This is, of course, the official podcast of the International Power Rock Combo, motherfucking ruckus, from Denver and Chicago, respectively. I'm Aaron Howell.
3: My name is Gordo.
2: Hey. It's good to be back in the booth another week for episode 90, motherfucking five, baby. Yes, 95. Thanks to everybody for tuning into the stream. Thanks to Ethan Klein, who is... Off somewhere in a room, banging his head. Seriously,
3: uh, let's just stop for a second and a moment of silence for Ethan Klein, who the death of Ethan's it, good he, idea. He, I, I, I see every now and then. I see people that like are ready to explode, and you know I, he was very near Vesuvius levels, and he and he held it together. He's he's helping us do some great things here, and I think we should yeah we should acknowledge. His great power right now.
2: We really should, man. He um he was in here trying to take our live stream game to the next level and just, I don't know. I don't know. Equipment is hard. Technology yeah. is hard. Sometimes
3: the world isn't ready for what you're trying to to provide for it.
2: Right. But I'm stoked that at episode 95, our backup plan is this, like, really nice piece of equipment. You know what I mean? Like, our backup plan is like, ah. Oh, we can't make the television studio work. I guess we'll have to use this piece of live streaming technology. You know, Crumbs. Like, yeah. Ah, <laughs> gee whiz.
3: That's still rather recent in, yeah. the, in the setup and very novel.
2: Yeah, very novel. Like, it, like we're already over it. We're like, no,
3: nah, we could do cooler. A oh, single camera just moves around with people's faces. <laughs> Whatever. So it, what? just,
2: it just like tracks people's faces. It's bullshit. <laughs> mm. My guest this week, our guest... I say my guest. Thank you. Our guest. Thank you. Of course. Yes. I I, I treat you like like, like the the, the subjugate in an unbalanced relationship. You know what I mean? And Gordo will be having a salad.
3: I can cut off your mic at any time, (laughs) man. We know who's in control.
2: We know who wears the pants in this relationship. (laughs) uh, Our guest this week on the show is an old friend. Uh, A hell of a musician, a guy um, I've known for a very long time. You may have seen him uh, in Fast Eddie. You may have seen him in his former band, The Dirty Few. Uh, You may have read his publication, Barf Magazine. Yes. Which is, uh, how many issues of BARF have you guys done now?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm a bad editor-in-chief because I...
2: <laughs> you guys are still going, though, yeah, right? Yeah. I just haven't seen an issue on a, on a bit.
1: It's on a hiatus right now. We kind of lost our... Uh, well, we lost our printer. Um, who was who your you printer? Who you might know, Joey Coloroso. Oh, Joey Coloroso, yeah. Yeah. Um, he did a bunch of... St- he's done a bunch of stuff for us. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's amazing. And uh, But he left Superior. He did. And we... Really only wanted to work with local people, right, which is a daunting task, honestly, to try and do a you know self run publication right with the resources that were kind of limited there's but. there's a lot of people who are looking
2: for if there's a printer out there, a local printer who wants to help print magazines and comic books and posters and albums you know for bands, there is a need because Joey was the dude for he was a the long guy time. yeah.
3: And, it's a tragic um, loss for the community.
1: I, I mean, it really it is. We, the,
3: we, we did so many flyers and handbills and all kinds of shit with him. It's a niche yeah. in
1: this community, I feel like. that. Did he get cool.
3: out of the industry completely? like I don't out know. Of the, the... I haven't spoken
1: to him since you know we lost contact. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I hope he gets back up and running. I don't know what his plans are, but he did our fr- he did our first comic. He did all
2: the laminates for our our first motion comic release. He did he's done a ton of posters for us. Mm-hmm. I've been I mean I've been working with Joey since uh, the Rockaway. Yeah, like he. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I still have some flyers that he printed from that. I imagine. I
2: think he still has an outstanding invoice for the Rockaway. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people have outstanding. Well, invoices. he was really
1: good about it. He'd float the bill and yeah, no, he was. And uh, yeah, we we tested that boundary a couple times because we were having trouble yeah. with our advertising. So
2: yeah, but. yeah, we uh, we floated the bill a couple of times. I'm <laughs> sure it's really hard for you know uh, uh, independent. Zine, where, like, you guys rely on the the ad?
1: Yeah, we only rely on ads from, you know, people in mostly Denver uh, because we just want to support small local business in this town. Right. And I kind of was on the position personally where I didn't want to run a whole bunch of dispensary ads and right. Uh, like
2: the west, the westward is almost entirely dispensary. I know. Well, and it's
1: kind of a shame because. <laughs> hey, shout, I feel by like... the way, shout out to the
2: westward. I love the westward. Thank you for the write up. Oh, absolutely. I yeah, it. no, Those, and I that love was the really westward. good write up. By the way. Oh, thank you, Gordo. Thank you very much, man. Hey, we'll, we'll talk about that later in the episode. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I didn't even say your name, Micah yeah. Morris. Hi, my friend Micah Morris is on the show. <laughs> Welcome, Micah. Hey,
4: yes. Welcome, Micah. what's happening, yeah,
2: dude? <laughs> dude. I, I, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a in a long time. It's been quite a while. Yeah, um, I've been good, man. It's I don't just, get out to shows much. Yeah, you know, I don't either.
1: A, actually, unless I'm playing.
2: Yeah, the rocker b rocked thing. Too, yeah, that we had when we had Karen Kuda on here. She brought up the the rocker b rocked thing because it's like if you're not playing a show, mm-hmm. you're probably working at a bar or a coffee shop somewhere yeah. trying to make ends meet, and so you mm-hmm. don't really get to. Catch your buddies' shows. As I
1: know. And I feel bad for that. I also kind of exhaust a lot of my personal energy when I perform, and then when I'm not performing or you know, kind of out in public, I, I kind of like have to take some time to. We talked decompress. about the the
2: lead singer disease thing when uh-huh. you and I were going back and forth. Yeah, about like the being in love with the sound of your own voice, and we got to learn how to do that. Emotion. It's hard at well, first. But, but do you consider yourself to be an introvert?
1: Absolutely, yeah, huh. um well, I, I I consider myself a part-time extrovert, right. more so,
2: right. I think that's that's something that we're seeing, you know, we're learning a lot more about in just like studying human beings. Mm-hmm. Is, that's definitely
3: my what I'm familiar with is the introvert and then extrovert by necessity, yeah. right you know, <laughs> you know right. Yeah.
2: like like so when when I was taking Nlp and i was I was learning, uh, the Myers-Briggs, and I'm learning all these mm. these different personality traits and things like that. Like, they, they talked about the clues to, you know, what makes an extrovert and what makes an introvert. And mm. the big thing was, are you energized by groups or are you de-energized by groups? Mm. Like, it's like... You know, introverts still like people, they just feel drained by social situations. Absolutely, you know yeah.
1: That's, that's something I didn't understand until recently, that I do have, like, a crazy amount of social anxiety when there's a lot of people around, but I sort of get that out when I perform. Right. You got to have you gotta have monitors or a
2: bar in front of you. Yeah. It's like, like a shield,
1: like, you know? It's like, yeah. It's, it's like it's, a protective shield.
2: I love being around people, and I love talking to people, but... I definitely have a harder time with fleeting small talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's like, it's so so. what I end up doing is in these social situations, it's like, what I really want to do is sit down and have a one-on-one conversation like yeah. we were doing a podcast or something. But since that doesn't work in this context, because we're at a show or whatever and it's super loud, mm-hmm. you like almost don't know when to end the interaction. Exactly. And you like, and you could, you could tell when like, Two artists are talking to each other.
1: Two musicians are because they're both kind of like waiting for their chance to talk. Or well,
2: something. well, they're both waiting for when is the appropriate time to like to leave to to end <laughs> to end the scene in the play. I you know. know what I mean. And it, and I don't say that to to categorize that as being something that's necessarily um, inauthentic or disingenuous. But yeah, it's like it's 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 just a different context, and you're not going to have that. Uh, you know, that deep, you know, kind of plumbing conversation uh, that you might have uh, with someone if you're just sitting down face-to-face over a cup of coffee. Oh, or, yeah. Or yeah, whatever. I
1: think that's something I prefer too. And then, you know, when when there's a show or something, there's just there's people everywhere, everybody's standing up, you know, they're just drinking. And uh, there's just like this weird energy to me where I'm, like you said, I'm kind of like, it's it's a shame because I feel like sometimes it gets misinterpreted as me not being interested being aloof or, or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, but it's really like I am uh drained sort of from this performance and the energy and, or like the the
2: or I'm feeling self-conscious mm-hmm. or, I'm feeling
1: exposed, yeah. or I'm feeling you are exposed or I'm feeling tired. It's the most exposed that's right. the point. Or I'm yeah.
2: feeling uh like your nervous system just gets – like the gain on your nervous system just gets like put on full blast. That's
1: true. Yeah, it's like distortion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's you're like, breaking up.
2: Yeah,
3: man. Lots of endorphins going on. Yeah. Absolutely. I,
2: I have been accused in the past of like being aloof or being too cool for school or whatever. And I had to really work on taking the time to recalibrate my brain. yeah. In the moment. Mm-hmm.
1: I really appreciate green rooms now for that Yeah, reason.
2: dude. I mean, it's like I really want to be present
4: mm-hmm. and around
2: people. But the other the other thing is, is that there's a lot going on. Yeah. It's like if you were to come visit me at work, it would be a very poor social interaction.
1: Exactly. No, that's exactly what it is. When you're playing, when you're performing, it's your job. So you're on the spot, you're, you're dealing with a million things in your head. Right. And then it's hard to make the time to create those connections with people. Right. And I used to, you know, I saw some front men that I respected, and then I met them, and then I thought they were a bunch of assholes. Right. Because they were just, you know— uh,
2: They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to talk
1: to me, or they, they were, like, busy, or they were, like, too cool or something. Now I realize that right. I've actually gotten to know some of those people later in my career personally, and I realize that they're just like me— but they're just anxious. Some of them are just shy. Yeah, they might have social
2: anxiety. or They might... I think a
1: lot of performers do. Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: I think it's a very common thing to not know how to go transition from the mental state of being on stage to the mental state of just uh, being in, like at a party, you know, in a a social situation like that. Mm -hmm. You know, And, and I think that... Other people don't necessarily know how to act, which is why they drink alcohol and take drugs. That's to like, exactly why I have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To kind mm-hmm. of like, if we're all on the same drug mm-hmm. or the same combination of drugs, if everybody in here is on the same, you know, wavelength, it'll be these easier weird for us Sparks start all, to connect. These yeah, wires start to connect. You right, we'll be able to easier. interact together. Yeah, and and because people have this need for, it's like. Um, it's like the invention of religion, mm-hmm. you know, um, the idea that, uh, you know, religion was probably a piece of, uh, technology in our civilization, you know, it, to be
1: able to bridge gaps between to people, to be
2: and, able to create, create commonality, t- <laughs> to be able to create commonality. You know, yeah. if you, you know, if, if your tribe all has the same belief system, it's like, we can all, you know, go in for the big win for the whole, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so it's like. Uh, booze is the, is the new, re- well, not the new religion, but booze is like almost an alternative to religion.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that's, you know, in my, even going to the bar, which I, you know, I don't really frequent the bars nearly as much as I used to, but uh, I realized just recently, honestly, that the, the reason I drank so much is because I'm just trying to navigate outside of those conversations at a small time. Absolutely. Like I'll go, you know, I'll go to the bar, I'll do a shot, I'll go outside, smoke a cigarette. I'll come back, get a beer. And I'll run to the restroom, come right. back out. And every one of them is like, "Hey, dude, how's it going? Good to see you." Yep. I'm like, "I gotta go. I got something to do." Right, right. But right. the thing that I'm doing is just to like, almost like you said, navigate away from something because I don't feel comfortable. At right. That's you know, weird. Well,
2: and and it's always like you're like looking for your next task that you have to complete. Exactly. And it's like, and and then it's like. Then you go home and you're like, man, I wonder why I never hear from anybody, and like, I wonder why I don't get invited to go like hang Isn't that out. Weird, and it's and like, like, like nobody that. calls me. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, well, it's because every time we call you, you flake out and don't come to something. You exactly. Know I mean? Well,
1: you're trying to get away from it. My roommate calls it uh, Jomo, as Jomo. opposed to FOMOS, joy of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I have
3: lots of joy of missing out. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the the <laughs> thing is,
2: though, is I like going to shows. Yeah. But Me too. I also am – when I'm at a show that I really like, like where I'm like really enjoying the music, I'm really lame because I'm kind of just standing there or sitting there and enjoying the show. Yeah. Like yeah. I want to enjoy every
1: every minute you of the show. You probably got all, all your moshing out. and dancing out when you're younger.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do like to do the floor thing once in a while, but the mm-hmm. sound sucks on the floor. Yeah. You true. know, the, the best sounds over by the soundboard, so I want to find a play
3: like especially sucks when your face is on the floor.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but well, and and it's like I feel like in more like bar shows, it is more about the social the the, the socialization than it is about the actual show. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't know, I just that is anxiety inducing for me.
1: I think it is for almost everybody. Because well, I think you bond over the, the right. weird social anxiety and then everybody drinks it away. And then, right, right. Well, and
2: I don't know how to, or it's not that I don't know how to, it's I have
1: trouble.
2: Having a shallow interaction with
1: someone. Me too. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? I would rather, it's, it's like if I'm going to enter into an interaction with somebody, I would rather give them my full, atten- my full undivided attention mm-hmm. and see through the conversation to completion. And in those environments, because there's so many people, you can't. You know, especially if you're playing and you've got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go to the merch table. I got to go to sound check. I got to do this. I got to run around and find this thing. I got to go back to the car. I got to do that. And every one of those times, you've got to like walk through a crowd of people. And you're mm-hmm. running into people and it's like, Oh, <laughs> I am so happy to see you. I Hold know. on. I'll be right back and then you and I'll talk and then you feel like a dick because you know, I know you just miss well, there's those there's
1: some of those too that it's like I don't think people understand in the context that they're kind of being rude sometimes. Where it's <laughs> like uh, my rude my producer, coming to think, my show and
2: <laughs> having a conversation. I know it sounds so it sounds so rude. vain and terrible
1: when you say it like that, but um but it is kinda of hard sometimes and you feel bad because people come up and they'll be like Oh, you sing and you play guitar. My nephew sings and plays guitar. You guys should hang out. Or, you know, like, you should play music with him and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm so stoked for that, for him and for you. But I have trouble with, like, okay, I don't think that we're going to develop a harmonious friendship in the future. Like am I'm, I'm trying just to start
2: breaking. I'm trying
1: down. to move my amp right now, and I'm covered in sweat. Like, right, right. I look disgusting. I feel gross, and I smell like shit. So I'm not like... So, I'm not in my tip-top tip, top social shape at that moment. You know what I'm
2: saying? What, one of the best lessons I've learned, and I've, met, I've probably mentioned this a couple times on the show, but it's probably been a while. One of the best lessons that I learned was when we went on tour in Europe and we played with the Carburetors, those guys were masters mm-hmm. because Eddie Goose, the singer of the Carburetors, his philosophy was the show starts the second you walk off the bus – Mm-hmm. And it ends when you get back on the bus. And oh, I completely away. agree. And he yeah. goes, he, they would have this thing where they would get off stage and they would all immediately run to the merch table Communicate and with that's there. where they shot the shit with yeah. people. Because I mean, so much of the sustainability of the business side of it depends on that anyway. Oh, of course. And then, you know, that's a really good idea. There's but- one place that people know to find you. Mm-hmm. All your friends can come by and say what's up, and then it becomes kind of the social, like, it becomes the kitchen.
1: But then there's still this thing between you and the, the audience. You know, well, there's see, a table between you maybe. Like that's you why something. you get a merch person and
2: you just stand in front of or next to the table. So then your whole job is just to talk to people uh-huh. while your merch person does, does the work. Like any, mm. th- like we've had Sarah Morafi has done merch for us. She oh, yeah. fucking rocks at she it. She worked
1: with Barf too. Did it, yeah, yeah? She she, she wrote for
2: Barf. She did an article on us
1: for Barf. Yeah yeah, yeah. which yeah. was super fun. She kind of saved us for a while. She's, How so? Well, you know, it's just like she she put a lot of energy. She puts a ton of energy into anything that she does. Right. So. Uh, we just needed a new spark. I felt like. Well, and she loves rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, she like yeah. she's a true she's genuine diehard rock and
2: roll. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, And and, uh, then, of course, we've also had my dad do merch for us. And my dad is great because if you ask my dad to stand in a place and to do a thing because he was a cop for 43 years and in the military, Mm. he will stand where you ask him to stand. (laughs) Merch dad. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, merch dad's the shit. And Uh so people are coming up and going, hey, can I get one of those in a large? Can I get this? Can I get this record? And my dad's Mm -hmm. going, okay, hold on one sec. And he's dealing with that. And then I get to go. Hey man, it's been a long time. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. And and you can have I feel like doing that has made it so that even though albeit a short interaction, you can have a higher quality interaction with more people in yeah. a more organized way. You yeah, know and I think mean?
1: that's a thing. Like uh I really never mean for things to be misconstrued as rude, but like I would rather give somebody my full attention like right. you said, and be able to have a genuine conversation with them. But I'm always interested. I'm always like, well, what's your name? Right. Like, I want to know your story. I'm really interested um, because I love people. Right. And I really love talking to them. But I, you know, I struggle in that context because, like you said, it's like you're at work. Well, it's like – it's the same thing as, like, if you're in a relationship mm-hmm. and you
2: are stressed out about something at work or you are stressed out about – some other personal issue or or maybe an argument that you had with someone online or in person whatever it is and you're allowing that to occupy your mind or you are you're just preoccupied with that thing mm-hmm. your partner is going to be be aware of that yeah you know yeah that, there's the
1: energy there you can feel it
2: right mm-hmm. and and they are going to be hurt by the lack of presence in that Interaction, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I hate thing. that. I and, hate that feeling, right? And and being aware of that. If I know I'm in the middle of something, you have this like, you end up feeling bad about being distracted, or yeah. feeling you end up feeling bad about being preoccupied. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And absolutely, yeah. That's a big part of it, right? right. They, but when, one of the one of the best things I could have learned from hanging with the carburetors was to stop.
1: Hanging out in the green room
2: when people are trying to talk to you.
1: Yeah, that's you know a, that's a good lesson to learn. That's something that I still struggle with, right? Because it's so tempting, you know, just like because you, you got like your own I said, spot. you're exhausted. I sweat my ass off when I perform, so right. Like and then, I, I, like like you said, I really want to give my best or all attention to whoever I'm talking to. But if I you know, if I got an amp in my hand and I'm covered in sweat, I would just like, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> just yeah. like. You know, it's like showing up to a date and you're just, like, you just got off of track meet. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Or, yeah.
2: Like, or, like, you've really got
1: to take a shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: You're just, like, <laughs> you're struggling. <laughs> it's, like, hey, it's really good to see you. <laughs> like, I I, have always appreciated the people who, who just have the personality where they will flat out be honest with you about why they're being so antsy or aloof i gotta poop they're they're like (laughs) hey seriously i don't mean to be rude but i'm kind of in a hurry because i just shit my pants and i gotta get out of here
1: yeah you don't want to smell it yeah yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) it's like oh cool then by all means get the fuck away from me (laughs) yeah get out of here so um so yeah man uh first of all tell me uh tell me kind of why barf is slowed down
1: like well, what, what's, um, what's it's something that, you guys? know, it's actually, I, I feel really bad about it. Um, you
2: guys should do a podcast. I actually, one of the reasons I asked you on here uh-huh. is I was thinking about Barf Magazine should do oh, a podcast. About the thing. Dude, the barf, barf cast. that would be you guys would be ten times more popular than this show <laughs> in a week, man. It's a fun Just because thing. Of the people you can, that you you can have throw barf in front of anything. It sounds great.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I love the
2: name. You know, it's the, the 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 people that you have contributing to it, and the people you have involved in it are are.
1: We you have know. some of the most talented people in this state. I feel like, yeah, We're it's, really. I mean, lucky. it's it's a great it's a great magazine. I've enjoyed it every time. And it's come out. I know the staff is probably frustrated with me at the moment because I haven't been able to spark the flame i mean it's there but Do you it's, just it's have a, too many irons in the fire On well things, i had for what? a long time and that's something i had to take care of my mental health okay. The last couple of years because i realized i had a million ir- irons in the fire just everything right at one just point i was in five, ba- five, ba- five bands i was holy shit doing the magazine what I, five I was, bands were you in oh i think the one time that it really was they were all at the same time it was rip rats dirty few six shooter fast eddie and, um, and then I'd do fill-in work. Right. A, a bunch for different bands, and um, I think my buddy Danny Dodge, I was playing for him. Yeah, yeah, time.
2: yeah, yeah. You and Parker both played with Danny Dodge.: Yeah. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then And um, And then I had a business, my own personal business, which is how I make my, my own money, and then what, uh, which is what? What's your business? What's uh, your business? It's, it's It's a delivery service, basically. And at the time so I you're thought it was a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Actually, it's not far off. I had a wine contract. Actually, Tay, um, your old guitar player. I had him working for me for a while, delivering wine. Yeah, delivering wine. I had a wine contract, so we would basically all my friends had band vans, so we would we got a contract for a distributor that needed extra hands or extra
3: drivers. So that's so he was doing that job working with you. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Did you? Yeah, you heard about that? About, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was talking to. He's Tay my wine guy. Yeah, winner. yeah, they they came down and recorded some tracks, and we were talking about you know delivering wine and shit. So, yeah, yeah, actually,
1: yeah, I pulled him into that, and then he crushed me on it. He's like a million times better at it than I am. But you know, I was He's running this thing really good. he good at, at tasks. Whatever you put him to, he'll get it. He'll oh, do dude, it. The he best. gets it
2: fucking done. Man. Yeah. Tay, that that was one of my favorite things being in a band with Tay is we would have Monday Get Shit Done Day. Mm-hmm. That's something I started with Tay. Is yeah. where like. Every Monday, leading up to practice, we would spend the day together. He and Tony did it, too, when Tony was living on his couch at, yeah.
1: at Reed's place. You know? Well, those guys never have fast, especially guitar. Oh, yeah. They'd they'd, uh, they'd do it
2: right. Yeah, well, the, Tay, Tay and I, I mean, like it was generally, usually me and Tay and Tony would, we would spend the entire day together just running around, and whether it's getting flyers printed or merch printed. There's or, always something. Or getting
1: yeah. posters done, like, that was when he was driving for me. It was amazing. He yeah. brought a clipboard with him, and he would take notes on, like, every delivery spot that he was doing on his route. Really? He'd, he'd learn it all, and he would just connect with everybody. He's so easy to talk to. Right. And then he would just crush it. He he did it so much faster than I ever could. See, he's a total extrovert. Yeah. No, I know. He's great at that. And then so that was something I, uh, I realized that, you know, I had so many irons in the fire because I had my own mental health struggles that were pushing right. me. Into this mania of just being able to have this, like, just just the most insane amount of energy to do all this stuff. Have you been diagnosed uh, manic depressive? Yeah, I have bipolar disorder. Oh, do you? And then that was a huge awakening for me when I crashed. And then I couldn't pay my people. I couldn't keep the magazine running. Right. I couldn't pay for the magazine. I couldn't pay my own employees, you know. And that was... Heartbreaking for me because the the whole I had a very altruistic vision for all of it. Right. The whole thing was you know I was trying to do a good thing. Right. Well, and
2: when you're imagining it, you're like, oh, and then we'll do this thing and we'll do mm.
1: this thing and it'll be great and all oh, we'll these the benefits, know. I was but, like, it's gonna be a revolution.
2: Right. And it's know? and it's people like you and me tend to not take into account. Obstacles and delays and setbacks and...
1: I'll just go for it. Horticultural time.
2: You know, the Uh fact that it takes time for things
1: to, for seeds to germinate and grow. When I had that mania, I could... Oh, yeah. The seeds will grow like right now. uh, You know, it was amazing. I could do all this stuff. If I had that all the time, I'd probably be, you know, sitting on an enterprise, but (laughs) I just don't. Did, I don't have that. Did you ever take
2: medication for it? I am now. You are? Uh-huh. How, how do you like... I'm curious because... Now, here's the reason I'm curious is I went and saw... You know, I've seen a variety of different therapists. I've got my one that I really like. Mm-hmm. But at one point, Sarah and I, you know, knew we were going to have a kid, and we wanted to make sure we had our house in order. Yeah. So we shopped around for uh, a couples therapist, and I went and saw a... um a psychiatric nurse. And mm-hmm. I was immediately turned off because she had a uh, some kind of pharmaceutical rep in the waiting room, like dropping off samples or whatever. And so I was automatically on guard. But I went in and uh, she had me take this like little short questionnaire. Um, and, uh, and when we got to talking, I immediately, you know, put the defense up. And I was like, I have no interest in taking any medication whatsoever. All and, right, blah, that's blah, how blah. I was when I went into well, it. Well, and then she was like, well, it's too bad because you tested really high for bipolar disorder. Yeah. And she goes, and a lot of the troubles that you, you know, because before you even go in, you type out a background and everything yeah. and kind of tell them about troubles that you've had. And, you know, um, I've come to a place where I'm where I'm happy with who I am, but I was kind of a maniac when I was, I mean, literally probably a maniac. maniac. When I, when the I, definition a maniac. Man, yeah, me too. You know, when I was when
1: I was younger... And very impulsive and just did a lot of stupid things. Yeah. And you probably bust your ass to get a bunch of shit done, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a superpower when you got it, well, the mania. But when it's not going well. Can't do anything. I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even. It was a struggle to move out of my bed. You know? I have, the way
2: I have learned to cope with it. Well, but, so so first of all, so what she said, is like, that was really too bad because a lot of the trouble you ran into is probably the result of undiagnosed Bipolar disorder. Yeah, you know, and so that's that's kind of stuck with me a little bit. But um, the way that I've dealt with it without medication is, even when I'm down, Mm -hmm. even when I'm in the depression, I force myself to act in spite of whether or not I feel like it.
1: Opposition. What is it? Opposite. Oh, oppositional defiant disorder. Is that what it is?
3: Yeah. What is that? I, I ran a day center for a while, so I know all about that. What
2: is oppositional defiant um, disorder? It's
3: basically it. It's basically if you're like say that there's a requested task. Like this is how I used to, you know, uh, deal with it. Is um, you have a, you know a task that you're re- requesting of someone, and they, depending on how you ask it, like you know the, the other person may just be like, nope. Right. You know, mm. like, nope, not doing that, you know. And the simple fact that you're wanting someone to do this task, they're they're just not going to budge. They're yeah. like, oh, you want me to do that, but you have oh, to. I know
1: a lot of people like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> I don't know if it's, but, you know, diagnosed
3: that. Yeah, it's like, but, you, it's about kind of finding the, the motivation within that person well, and that, to find the, how to do that right, task right, right. rather, the rather pride, than just say. Your pride is the almost biggest motivation to not
1: do something. Right. Exactly. Which is really a, it's exactly. a, such a big handicap, really. Is your yeah. pride cuz I was really embarrassed when I was diagnosed. But then all of a sudden I just did more research and stuff and I was like, "Oh, this makes a lot of sense." Right. And then I realized that um it, it could only make my life better to do something about it. And for a while I was unmedicated and I was doing yoga every day and I was exercising every day and like you said I was making steps to Right to do something, go for a walk, which I think that anybody can make make it through um, this hurdle if you do that stuff. If you take action, right? But if, physical
3: if you, activity is a really big, like it. It really works. Absolutely, like getting yourself, getting out there your eating, a, moving, and sleeping dialed. I think
1: in. a yeah. lot of these things come from humans just don't aren't as active as they're meant to be.
3: Well, and, and also, um, we... It's just not part of our problem-solving schema, you know? Like, we don't think, oh, yeah, I should go out for a walk and just clear my head for a while. Well, yeah. and,
2: and our um, our technology has... You know, we are still monkeys, and our uh, a lot of times our um, grasp exceeds our reach, mm-hmm. you know, and we are living with things that we've created that our nervous system hasn't caught up to evolutionarily. Yeah.
1: Seeing, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, before I, I realized this, if, if you've gone backpacking, I feel like when, you know, when I'm backpacking, um, there's you like you, you're, you're, there's always something to be doing. You know, right. you go gather firewood, you're like fishing, you're prepping a meal, you're doing all these things constantly just to be able to make it through the experience. Right. And I think that's, you know, in that moment, everything is kind of gratifying because you're working towards the simple task of existing. And I think now you don't really have to do that. You've taken away the satisfaction of being able to just work s- solely for the existence of yourself right and, well
2: and and negative emotions serve a purpose, mm-hmm. you know they they serve an oh, adaptive yeah. purpose. It's like it's like if you, you know, Got attacked by a tiger or you saw your brother get attacked by a tiger behind that bush. Mm-hmm. You're going to be afraid of that bush or you're going to be wary of bushes yeah, going forward. Should, if you burn your finger on a stove. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So, and, and I think we live in a time where we've tricked ourselves into thinking that we shouldn't experience that. Oh, yeah. That we mm-hmm. shouldn't ever suffer, that we shouldn't ever experience. God, but rock and it,
1: roll would suck
2: if that was the case. Right.
4: If, if, <laughs> if everything was
2: just awesome all the time. Right. For real. No, it, it, it's – um. so one of the ways that I've learned to deal with it is I do my best to run the program whether I feel like it or not. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if I succumbed to – Whatever form of mental illness that I have, mm-hmm. whatever form of chemical imbalance or or crossed wiring that I have, if if I gave into that, this podcast would be done. Yeah. The band would be mm-hmm. done. You know, yeah, that's
1: what happened to me. I think with a lot of my projects, just kind of right. fell apart. But then I realized as you well, you end up bullshitting people. You end up like kind of mm-hmm. like letting things. Go
2: unmaintained for a long enough time it, well, until you Well, you, you keep can't.
1: telling yourself you're going to catch up. Right. And then, you know, the, the fucking, the mound just gets bigger and bigger and bigger on right. your back. And then after a while, it's like, fuck, I don't even know what to do. And, you know, it's still kind of like that in some aspects of my life. But I have learned to uh, to um, take on less, really, right now. Yeah. Like, I have one band I'm really focusing on. That's important. And uh, I'm still working on all sorts of other shit with music, but... Do you feel
2: this is something that I've been kind of having a, a a dialogue about with myself lately? Do you ever suspect that you are addicted in some way to the approval of others? Mhm. Like ad- yeah. ad- addicted in some way to um you know, th- do do you feel like you have an external frame of reference where like you feel the need to seek the validation of others. Yeah. like and, and, and sometimes I've wondered, because I deal with that, and mm-hmm. I've wondered if that is the entire motivation behind being in a band in the first place, mm-hmm. behind trying to, you know, create, you know, build the band into this media channel or mm-hmm. like sending out press releases or running social media, like running any of it. Yeah. I've like begun to entertain the idea of like, Am I just feeding an addiction
1: here? Well, I think for me, I've always felt like uh, like an outsider, like right. completely. I felt like isolated. I grew up in a small mountain town, and um, what mountain town did you grow up in? It was Eagle County. Oh, you so, grew up in Eagle yeah. County, okay. and um, so in that environment, being alternative or punk rock or whatever it was not cool, right? You know, in the, in the so t- what drew early two thousand wasn't cool. Um, it was it was a contrarianism, really. I just didn't like the culture that I was yes. around, and um. And I also just, it it felt like a home for me because I felt naturally sort of eccentric from when I was a kid. Ever since I was able to dress myself, I just had weird little things that didn't make any sense that I would put in my outfit. But um, So that was something that I, when I uh, found this home sort of in rock and roll and punk rock, uh, it was the most liberating thing ever. And so I, I stuck with it. But then for me, I just felt like, you know, and it wasn't the case, but the way that my brain was telling me was everybody doesn't think you're enough. Right. Nobody thinks you're enough. And maybe it was an abandonment thing from when I was a kid, but nobody thinks that I'm enough. And so to me, I'm like, I'm going to fucking show you. Right. Like right. I'm beyond enough. Like I'll fucking bury you in the dirt. Well, and it hurts you know, but-
2: so bad to be rejected by your peers when you're a kid. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, it hurts. Yeah. There's, it there's is a, so
3: incredibly painful. Yeah, there's a lot of I'm gonna fucking show you. There's in, a lot of yeah, all that, three yeah. of us, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 A ton of it. Yeah. And and it well and and a lot of it for 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 me wasn't so much an I'll show you. It's like it's like I'll create something, I'll create an identity mm-hmm. that will that, that people will want to have around or want to be around. Mm-hmm. And then you end up succeeding in that in certain ways, but you also have you, – you find yourself battling with the inconsistencies between the identity you've created and who you really are deep down inside when you kind of like push that,
1: yeah.
5: that
2: part away, that part that you're playing.
1: I feel like I've always sort of been like too much of an open book. Like for real, like I've always just been to the point where like I, uh, I have been hurt because I've been so like unrelentingly honest about my feelings and open, and uh, the rest of the world doesn't function like that, Mm -hmm. and I expect it to, and I'm constantly disappointed, even to this day. But again, that's something that um, other people's uh, dismissal of me or my talents or whatever I'm trying to do has always been more just fuel for the fire for me to just go above and beyond to create more. Right. And maybe it's not even to prove it to them. It's to prove it to myself that I'm worth it to myself.
3: Right. Does that makes sense? Uh, that's a uh, Yeah, that's a huge part of it for me. Well, yeah,
1: and then— Because, yeah. you know, I think that's the biggest demon in my head is myself telling me I'm not good enough. Oh, yeah, likewise. I, I can't remember—I can't for the life of me remember the name—
2: of the speaker, but it was, you know, it was one of those, uh, those, one of those school of life, um, or after school YouTube videos where like they take a speech that someone does and then someone's sitting there illustrating the whole thing while they talk. I can't remember what it was, some college commencement speech. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe I'll be able to find it on the, um, Oh God! What was it they, if Gordo, if you go on um, the YouTube channel for after school, after S K O O L, um, there's one that is a is a commencement speech, and I, I just want to make sure I credit the person right. Um, but he talks in the speech. He talks about uh in in the speech he talks about even if you claim not to be religious you worship something. Oh yeah. We all Mm -hmm. worship something and whatever it is that you worship will have this other side to it that, that inflicts pain on you. Yeah. Like if you, if you worship material things, you'll never feel like you have enough material things. You'll always feel poor or or, or if you worship money, you'll always feel poor. Mm -hmm. Or if you worship uh, the approval of others, you'll always feel like you're not enough. You'll always feel like, you're an outsider in yeah. some the way. Yeah, the need it, for
3: acceptance will make you invisible. The is need that, for acceptance. I, I, I think
2: it is the need for acceptance will make you invisible. Yeah, You're I mean mu- it's a, it's a really great channel. There's awesome stuff. Your on, mind
3: maybe- is an excellent servant, but a terrible master. That's
2: it. That's, That's it. That's the
3: one? Yeah, who is that? That is... Uh, oh, yeah, David Foster Wallace. Yeah, David Foster oh, yeah. Wallace. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course it is. Yeah, man.
2: <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic speech. Anybody who's listening to this or watching the stream right now, look that up on, on After School, David Foster Wallace. Your mind is a great servant, but a terrible... Terrible master? Terrible, master. Terrible master. Really great speech. But mm-hmm. he kind of talks about that, you know, this, this idea of like... If you place a tremendous amount of value in something like being accepted by others, Mm -hmm. and and I don't think he names that specifically, but I began to think of the things that I might worship, the things that I might value, the things that I might, you know, strive to achieve in some way. And one of the things that I have always uh, sought out is to be liked.
1: Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? To yeah, be, and I think be, that's that's that comes- very brave of you to admit that. It probably took a lot of – well, for me, I realized that too. But it took a lot of uh, strength, I feel like. It takes like strength to acknowledge that – need for (laughs) it was you know it
2: it, to to come to the realization i feel didn't take much strength it was Mm. a matter of learning to ask the right questions because it was something that i had never even considered before yeah you know until until i started really trying to make some changes to my life and and decided i didn't like the way i was living and i wanted to live a different way Mm -hmm. until i started pursuing information and education that steered me in the direction of asking the right questions,
5: mm-hmm. you
2: know, I, I, I wouldn't have even thought to, to look, Yeah, but you know, as soon as I started figuring that out, it didn't overnight stop. And it's like, Oh great. Suddenly I don't care what people think of me, mm-hmm. but it has, it has diminished over time and I have been able to develop the, the awareness of it. And when I start getting carried away, I can kind of pay attention to that thought and kind of Watch it unravel in real time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just just having the presence, that, the presence of
1: well, mind. it was like um, to me being diagnosed bipolar was really. It took a minute to sink in, but it was really a relief because I realized that it like wasn't my fault.
2: Right. Like, it's like I like, have oh, there's a there's something up with my wiring. Yeah. Right. Um,
1: but it, it for me that took a lot of strength uh, to, or a lot of you know like practiced strength to just admit that right. I needed help. Right? And that we all kind of need help, you know, as as human right. beings.
2: I like yeah. help. Yeah. I just never prioritized it. Yeah, exactly.
1: You yeah, know, and
2: probably too. the the issue that I is probably facing me in in regard to that arena right now is my distrust for pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. I'm afraid of taking medication, and I can admit this. I'm afraid of taking medication because I'm afraid of losing the mania.
1: Yeah. No, I get know? that.
2: Because like you said, the mania feels like a superpower when it's mm-hmm. going on. Oh, it's the best. Like the, the best ab- feeling you could ever have. Well, yeah. and to me, I really. obsess about the band or projects and mm-hmm. things like that, and I will have times where I get disappointed or I feel resentful of My partners, my bandmates, Mm -hmm. because they're not as insanely obsessed as I am. I
3: completely, but a lot of that comes from. We can all relate to that. Well,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of that comes from them being more emotionally
1: regulated. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I think rather than completely binging on well and obsessed, yeah, obsession, you
2: know, and. And I like to think it's a superpower, and people talk about it like it's a superpower. Yeah. But.
1: It's also the biggest hindrance you can have. Yeah, it's it especially when it's a double-edged sword. Right, it could be the most detrimental thing to your life as well. Well, well
2: right, especially <laughs> you know I used to do some really impulsive, stupid things, and I'm very lucky I wasn't killed by the stupid, impulsive Me things too. that I did. Me too. While in the grips of mania, mm-hmm. or especially when you throw alcohol and yeah. stimulants, you feel on
1: invincible. Top of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I jumped off a roof, landing on my head. <laughs> You jumped off a roof yeah. and landed on your head? Tell me <laughs> was, that story. Okay, it was Holy my first... shit. <laughs> it was my first uh, little mini tour with Dirty Few. And uh, I wouldn't say that that was something that was sort of like an accept be, being accepted thing. It was really just... I was drunk and other people were doing it, but I was just like, fuck it. It was kind of like... It was after Colorado Springs show and there was a... Well, I'm sure part of it came from
2: from a need to be accepted because it's like... You know this behavior is congruent with the identity that I've created for myself of being like the wild party.
1: It wasn't rocker. even that. I think it was just like natural. It was like this weird reaction where I was like I felt completely invincible, right, so there was no reason for me not to do it. I was like i'd be I'd be totally safe like no matter what. It was one of those things where it's like I felt like if I walked up to a building, I could just push it over right, and I know you know even in the moment, like i can't I, maybe you would be familiar with that feeling, but it's just like this unrelenting feeling of invincibility and then uh i just sort of jumped and there was this mattress sort of like uh diagonally put on the side of the thing and i was just like whatever it was it was this weird college party we went to everybody was way younger than us and i stood up on the roof and it was like you know almost famous it was like i am a golden 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 god moment (laughs) And then I jumped and I hit the mattress like this and I flew forward projected and I hit my head on basically it was like gravel and my legs scorpioned over my head <laughs> and I stood up Holy and, you know, I always have shit. bangs in my, in, on my forehead so I was like, I stood up and my friends were like, gave me that look of like, oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I, and then I was like, am I okay? And they're like, yeah. And then they like pulled my bangs back and I had this giant fucking hole just bleeding down the side of my face. Woo. And, And uh, I was, uh, you know, I was concussed. I went back to the van, and I was just kind of, like, nodding back and forth. And luckily, Kim Pot, who's one of my best friends in the world, was there. And she's always been with me through some of my weirdest, most impulsive, maniacal decisions. Right. And she just waited with me in the car for a while, and then I started nodding off and, like, passing out almost in the car and everybody was like no, 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 no keep him awake keep
0: him awake right, right, right. so
1: they started blasting thin Lizzie in the car as loud as possible and they're you know feeding me drugs or whatever to try well dude you start, you
2: start to romanticize that type of behavior I know when it's sad but people love that idea I'm terrified of like like I have decided that I am going to impart as much truth to my son as I can yeah and try and tell him what the real life consequences of my actions were and be like, listen, dude, I did some stupid things and it had these detrimental effects on my life. Mm -hmm. My hope is that he'll go, yeah, that sounds awful. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. My fear is... Is that he'll romanticize it in some way. Oh, I know. And be like yeah. be like, oh, my dad used to be this crazy rocker dude, and then but then he had like a come to Jesus moment mm-hmm. and he got his shit together and he turned out fine. So in order to be a more complete,
3: well-rounded human being, I should have the same experience. There's a lot yeah. wrapped up in the role of just being in a band and playing rock and roll music. I mean, there's a lot of there's this almost expectation. I know, and it's actually right. you, it's, you know, and it's and it's all pretty much bullshit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's
2: all bullshit because everybody is just playing a character. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you read Slash's book, like mm-hmm. like so many of us look up to a character like Slash, right, mm-hmm. or like the guys from Guns and Roses, and will. You know, you know how it was when there was that period of time where there was a whole group of of our friends who just wanted to be Izzy Stradlin and sure. fucking slash and oh, dress
1: the part, and or, jo- or
2: wanted to be Johnny Thunders mm-hmm. or wanted to be someone like. I that. love
1: the aesthetic, and I love the you know the 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 fashion, and then the expression in that way. But I don't know if I was ever really like. You weren't it, you always know, into the lifestyle. Well, no, I've I've always been in the lifestyle since I was fourteen. Right. But um I don't know if I was personally, you know, trying to put on an air or anything. I just felt like that was me, but not in a good way. Right. Like other people would glamorize my behavior, but to me it was sad. It was right. fucking weird. Like I, you know, jumping out I like I jumped out of a moving car going like thirty miles an hour and like right. And people like you know, of course, as soon as, it, you know, people, like, glamorize this idea, they've made, like, a Westward Comics strip of me jumping off a roof and landing on my head or whatever. Yeah, it's like, that's so funny. That's fucking badass. Or You know, right. it's cool that this guy does this crazy shit. But, like, when you come down and then you wake up wounded and hung over off your ass and you've been abusing alcohol from, you know, like touring for, like, a month and making these reckless decisions and running up credit card debt. And, feeling just you
2: know, like feeling just like killing yourself all the time.
1: Exactly, and, uh, and that's a big thing, and uh, that's a struggle that I think. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way, but um, the, it's dangerous the glamorization of that behavior. Well, but
2: my my point is is that you look at the people who like idolize people like the dudes from like Guns and Roses or Motley Crue or like Johnny Thunders or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you like. Read their stories, and they're talking about, oh, I looked up to the guys from Aerosmith and mm. The Sweet so much, and we, and back and back and back. And you look at how all those heroes ended up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like their bodies were, are destroyed. They were they're, miserable.
1: Yeah, you know, look like at Steve Baters later in his life, or uh, yeah. And honestly, your your point, I think, like, think you know, Sid Vicious was literally paid. So much money to be a character. You know, he had and like he no musical talent, yeah. but he was a junkie before before any of that. And like they encouraged that. It's right. really sad. They exploited this poor kid right. for his appearance in his. They wanted him to be a fucking waste toy. Yeah, trash we want pack. you
2: to be a. Tra- we want you I to be a if train. If that's kind
1: of part of the whole thing, assimilating this culture and making it. A fucking, uh, you know, like a Same menagerie, thing, prop- some right. sort of fucking uh, circus act where these people right. are never going to change anything. And they're all junkies and they're all, you know. Right. But no, I don't it's know, like, it's like,
2: well, no, no, no. I mean, that that's a real thing, man. Is like people you, glamorize it. It's sad. It's fucking Whoever sad. identity drives behavior. hmm And that behavior generates your emotional state. Mm-hmm and determines your experience of life in the world. Yeah. You know, so you decide who you are, you know, on an unconscious level, and then you you do behaviors that are – Congruent with the behaviors of that identity that you've chosen. That's true for yeah. yourself, uh, Punk rock. You know? Well, I mean, you look yeah, e- exactly. So it's yeah, like you got to be as punk as fuck, dude. I am. <laughs> I am legitimately embarrassed and ashamed of so much of the stuff that I did early on in my career mm-hmm. because I was trying to be the like sleazy wastoid punk rock dude. Yeah. You know, because I'm listening to Gigi Allen and the Quincy Punks and fucking hanging around with
1: other alcoholics and yeah. addicts and, well, yeah, and people with unchecked
2: some... mental illness. You I know? thought it
1: was cool to hang out with straight up sociopathic criminals. Right. I thought that was the most punk thing I could do. Yeah. You know, I hung out with this kid that was literally, you know, I saw him crack people over the head with a smiley. And oh, yeah. And I, I thought that was punk rock as fuck. Dude, I know. You know I, was I know like, murderers. Yeah, I know murderers. I know I people too. that are in prison.
2: I you do know too. What I mean,
1: for for a, a variety of different yeah. crimes. It's embarrassing looking back on that because yeah. now I'm like, God, that's fucking horrible. And like, I, you know, my identity was tied into that shit. Right. I thought it was badass. I would tell these stories about these dudes, you know, breaking out of uh, you know detox facilities and stealing cars and right. And I thought that was so cool. Now I'm just like, you know, if there's anything I could impart. To younger kids that are getting into rock and roll and all that shit is like that's not cool.
2: that part is totally really ins-
1: idiosyncratic cool. and has nothing to it has do has nothing to do with rock and roll rock and roll is love yeah to me, I think it's love and acceptance and right um, if there's anything I can impart to younger kids, it's just don't don't get lost in that delusion right and don't let them make you a victim of yourself
2: right and and be careful of who you strive to become to be accepted by others because you might become that person. Yeah. You know, and then, I did a lot of things to impress people that weren't going to like me no matter who I was. hmm
1: And that, frankly, now, I don't like. When, who's the, what's the fucking point anyway? Right. Like, well, those people probably suck. They're never going to fucking bury out of jail. Here,
2: or... Here's here's something. Mm. Now, I would not ascribe this to as a universal to everyone, but I do think that... There are probably, and I don't know how it was for you, and I don't know how it was for you, Gordo, but I think what a a lot of it was for me is I came from, I came from a a good background. Yeah. My family's great. You know, I grew up with a lot of love, both parents in the house. I was kind of hyperactive and a little weird and got picked on a bit and and I was small and I think that created some sort of like inferiority complex because I felt like I was bland and you know living in this homogenous you know suburban world. So and you wanted, I wanted to validate your rock cred or whatever. I on some level. I wanted to well, what it was is is I wanted to be a cool, intense, interesting character. And then I came about, you know, learning about different rock and roll bands and and learning about punk rock and things like that, you know, dyeing my hair and wearing a fucking anarchy shirt, like, you know, that I got a hot topic, like a chode, you know, like shit like that, you know, just like wanting to prove that I was crazy and I was wild and I was, you know, because I didn't want to feel like a small suburban, fucking uh, white kid with nothing to say and no nothing interesting about them Mm -hmm. i just felt like a weird kid that people beat up on sure you know or Mm -hmm. i felt like a i just felt like a weird annoying kid when in my family i was used to being accepted and i was used to having this like loving relationship with all the people around me but i didn't I didn't feel like I had anything any type of currency
1: that was worthwhile to my peer group. Okay. Yeah, I feel like it's funny cuz uh I feel similar but I feel like it's transferred like the the timeline's different for me cuz when I had a really bizarre childhood, you know, with a lot of crazy traumatic shit, but right. then I got older and my my mom and my stepdad and my family worked our asses off to build a company together and then worked their way into, you know, like, semi-affluence. Right. And we're comfortable. And, you know, I'm a white kid, and uh, I've got the most loving parents, and they're incredible. And sometimes, I'd like, now, I feel like people just sort of think, like, oh, that's where that kid comes from. Right. Like, he's, like, he's always been, like a like, a rich kid or something like that. And... So I I relate like to Like there's that something feeling.
2: like there's something wrong with coming from
1: Yeah, and there's really nothing wrong with that. Right. Um in fact it's cool. Like right. it, what like what's wrong with having a, a a home that your parents worked to build uh harmoniously and like loving people and you you came from a beautiful background or whatever like right. uh, the, the and maybe that's that, the insecurity that... about the blues is like but everything's relative. There's pain in every in every facet of life. It's like that Johnny Two Bags song by the Vandals. Yeah. like, like Johnny Two Bags
2: doesn't have the blues and it makes him sad. <laughs> Brings him down. <laughs> but not down enough to have yeah, the you're blues. You're sad
1: because you don't have the blues. That's funny. <laughs> well,
2: and it's like but then you but but it it is a real thing cuz it's like you're like trying to get into this cool subculture and you're like getting around people who like treat you like a poser. Yeah, you know they're oh, like yeah. they're like go home, little kid. You know, you know you don't you don't know anything about this. This isn't for I pity you. Those da, da, da. people, yeah.
3: yeah. But I I don't know. I was always treated like an outsider from day one when I was a kid. You know, on, on up through getting into metal and punk rock and all that stuff. Like Me too. I right, I was. Me too. Consistently uh, the odd man out. You know, especially I, in Kansas too. I imagine. Well, I was I was raised by two gay men in Kansas, and basically that was like at that point uh, that's I mean, cool th- that's fuck. like i mean well i it, it was <laughs> cool as fuck and i had we had a great family yeah. but um you figure out who your friends are really fast but it's only um, it's only cool are. as
2: fuck because we understand the risk involved with that like yeah the balls
3: that's gangsta that it takes. man that's, that's gangsta, gangsta shit <laughs> don't <it's> think <laughs> don't think i didn't beg my dads to move yeah <laughs> it's uh-huh. like there's this cool place called san francisco <laughs> yeah let's move there yeah let's move there none Be of a... us would get any shit there yeah yeah but no no we're gonna stay here in kansas and we did that's
1: gangsta <laughs> yeah.
2: but it's but we say that mm-hmm. because we understand the risk and the sacrifice involved and, yeah. the, and the like like, the audacity, dude, the to real do that balls that, yeah. that it takes to do that, mm-hmm. and the danger associated with it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, like, dude, I can't even, I can't imagine being in a gay household in fucking Kansas in the seventies and the
3: eighties, dude, mm-hmm.
2: because that was probably also around the time
1: that
3: and the nineties and what the nineties was, was like a
1: Laramie. <laughs> And all that shit in the '90s. Oh yeah, that know. too. Yeah, um, well, that's Wyoming, but same kind of. Well, t- I mean, same kind of culture. Uh, you know, they're both really flat.
2: <laughs> it, well, but it's Very also flat. it's also at the same time that the pushback of the religious right is
3: going on. Mm-hmm. We had Operation Rescue up in our asses. That like that whole thing conversion all, therapy all, type of stuff. It and, was and, all like, no, that was focus like focus on the family. That was and, the uh, anti-abortion movement. Like they came in and just took over. They like moved into town. In like the summertime, it was like 1990. Right. Summer of. What was it? The summer? It wasn't the summer of love. It was this. They call it the, the summer of mercy. Were they anti gay? The summer of and mercy. They, and I worked up the street from an Is abortion it like a Westboro clinic. Kind of and, thing? and these guys, I mean, like they were they were literally putting their kids in front of moving vehicles that were trying to, you know, get into. Were
2: they as intense tense as like Westboro Baptist Church or anything like That's that? Dude, they
3: were wondering. actually a little beyond that. They, they were anti gay. They would they all get all shit, physically, yeah, they would physically get in your face. They'd physically intimidate people. They would. Do everything they possibly could That's to keep pe- people Half from Christian entering, that? yeah, I know they they do everything but they they could do to like stop people from getting into the the clinics themselves and including like putting their own children like you know in front of these moving vehicles, right. and it just blew my fucking mind. It was just like this is yeah, I mean like i i, I, I yeah, I wouldn't recommend living in Kansas, <laughs> <laughs> well, Look but go the, to Lawrence. but the, but the Lawrence other is thing cool. is is that oh, yeah like, I, at, I lived there for a long time at yeah. that
2: time. Um, you know, gay activism was becoming a big thing and the AIDS crisis. And there was a lot of media attention on the big cities, these big liberal cities that are, that are just letting the gays just run wild. You know, like there was, there was all this focus on that in the media and I'm sure in, The Bible Belt of America, they're sitting there watching the news just going-
1: That's happening right now. The
2: goddamn country is falling apart. Well, the difference is now, and this is something that even though I do- Well, maybe they- I do criticize social media and mass media a lot on this show, but one thing, like, the thing that trumps all my criticisms is the fact that all the ideas are out there, Mm -hmm. and you can-
0: For every
2: (laughs) for every malevolent, dangerous idea there is, there is a a tsunami of resistance against it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and the information is circulated a lot, and I think a lot. You know, um, you look at like that Daryl Davis guy who was uh, converting people in the Klan and shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. His the his conclusions. And this and by the way, this is just a black man that 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 plays in bands. This mm. is just a musician, a professional musician. Yeah. And he set about this like mission of getting people out of the Klan, Yeah. Like converting people. And what his conclusion was, what his findings were was almost all of them just really had no information to the
1: contrary. Sure, they had no exposure to the people they were. When I think, to I hate. also think it it stems from a contrarianism, right? Sometimes I feel like you're not going to push your ideas down one, my throat. I think sometimes yeah. they probably have similar sentiments. I think there's a lot of similarities between people, but well, I mean, because more because,
2: similarities than differences.
1: Exactly, because somebody is liberal and they say something then a right. conservative would be more prone to disagree with it. Just but because. if a conservative said that same thing, they might agree with it. Well, you ma- know, It could be something right. really simple. It could be something really small. But it's a contrarianism because they want to just – they just – it's the two sides clashing They throw the each baby other.
2: out with the bathwater. Yeah. Well, and what what I think is interesting is since we live in this time where all the ideas are out there and they're all interacting with each other – we're seeing an emergence of popular pluralism
4: mm-hmm.
2: where you know obviously you're not going to see it in in the biggest most heated arguments because the biggest most heated arguments are people who have pretty polarized opinions and aren't going to relent and are just going to die on the hill you know mm-hmm. but i think that most people who are participating in these discussions uh, on, on a variety of subjects are they're beginning to go, I can take this. I can leave this idea. You know, you're getting, you're getting more people who are choosing their spirituality a la carte. Yeah. They're choosing their
1: politics more a la carte. Well, all and it's like, the information is at your fingertips. Right. So that's another thing. I think that there is a degree of accountability now where it's like you can't just dismiss Facts, right? Because you can look them up; like, right. they're right in front of you. And I, I think that that's something that has, uh, at this day and age, like you know, uh, that's the difference between humans and animals. I guess is that we're sentient; we have the ability to acknowledge. As far things as we that we know. do, as far as we know, right? Right, right. As but far far we, as we know no one else has it. Yeah. So well, no, and, and you know, I don't mean to dismiss that idea, but at the same time, we the have- The dolphins are going to write a letter <laughs> now, an angry letter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we uh, we're accountable, and we're accountable to spreading misinformation. And if you're wrong, again, it's just this pride thing that's kind of a plague in the world. It's like if you're wrong, if you don't know, say so. And if you're wrong, admit it. Who cares? I'm wrong right. about all sorts of shit. And I say shit confidently. People believe me. Like, I do this thing sometimes where I get in a car and, you know, I'm just so used to being in the driver's seat that I'll just drive in a direction somebody says we're going somewhere. I'll just start driving. I have no idea where I'm going. And, right, but right. they'll just sit there and they'll, like, let me drive for a while. And then, it'll, you know, it'll be like 10 minutes later. It'll be like, where are we? What are we doing? I was like... <laughs> Oh, dude! I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I have, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have become
2: less and less certain about what I think I know. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know what I mean? Because me too. It, I don't know shit. You got
3: to be willing to learn. You got to be willing right. to readjust your reality, and you know, well, you don't your gotta. Opinion.
2: You don't gotta.
3: And some people. Oh yeah, Th- you, they you can, go the you opposite can stay way. the same way. You can stay the same way and think the same thing for the rest of your life. They're too. like, you what I, I need to do too. is
2: I need to find an ideology that keeps me nice and comfortable,
1: mm-hmm. that
2: keeps me from ever having any sort of existential crisis Because whatsoever. they're afraid
1: of the alternative. Right,
2: exactly. And the feeling of not knowing something, you know, it not only taps into that fear of the vastness of the unknown and like, the, the insignificance of being a person, you know, Mm -hmm. we all have that, but it also taps into the fear of social ridicule. Yeah. Like if you purport to know something and then somebody comes in and mocks you or proves you wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, That is in your mind, you know, one of the worst things. Well, and I also
1: think that there's this thing now, I think we we were kind of bringing this up earlier. There's this thing now where people don't give you the chance to admit that you're wrong. Right. (laughs) Because they just assume like if you say one thing and it could be misinformed and maybe you don't even know if you mean that. Right. If you say one thing, you know, on an interview, maybe somebody will pull something I said off this. Out of context. Shit. And they'll say, that's who I am. That's what I believe. One of my fears that's is exactly someone going
2: back through episodes of this podcast and just looking for uh,
0: the time I that I misspoke.
1: You, yeah, there's probably like at least 10 on this one that I could say. Somebody pull out <laughs> and be like, oh, that's what Micah stands for. Yeah. And I'll be like, well, you know, maybe it was an idea that I had at a certain time and I could have been completely off base, and w- there's there's this no forgiveness now. It's just like yep. you're fucking. It's so just a disclaimer t-
3: right now. Uh, we, we could very well mean everything we say, <laughs> yeah, uh, or not,
1: yeah, 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 yeah or yeah. not, <laughs> maybe not.
3: Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that
2: that that's another thing too. Is like you can you can take an idea, a thought, uh-huh. and you can tweet it out into the world, mm. and it has the same font. As you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, or fucking, you know, the president of the United States, or 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 whoever it may be, you know, it it has the same font, it has the same illusion of earnestness and seriousness. Yeah, you know, and it's it's letters, it's text, man. Yeah. It's like reading a book. Exactly. Oh, somebody so, wrote it, so it's fucking right, true. Right, exactly. So you, mm-hmm. can, you can put something out there that was a malformed thought mm-hmm. or lacks the context of the entirety of your thought or made sense in a different time or made sense was the best you could come up with the, with the information that you had available at the time. And someone can go back into that and pull it out Into now. Yeah, yeah, And be like, this is what you think now.
1: Yeah. This is the... It's a shame because the most beautiful thing about life to me is that it changes. And it's fluid. Right. And you can grow. People can grow. They can be redeemed. They can change. And I think that, funny enough, the people that really push, you know, I don't mean to overgeneralize, but I think um, Christianity gets a rap of being this thing where, uh, you know, like, you should people are, like, unforgiving these days. Or just be like, you're a sinner, or, like, all this shit, and you need to be redeemed. But the funny thing is, is, like, I feel like that's just not the message of the whole point. I mean, the whole right. point is forgiveness, right? The whole point is, like, was, people change. People yeah. can grow into somebody else. I can't remember mm-hmm. who I was talking about this with, but
2: it's, like, it's it's easy to criticize religion because the – Only voice from religion we hear is the most fanatic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the most fanatical voices. You know, same with rock and roll. Well exactly. (laughs) We see, you know, we see the Westboro Baptist Church on TV, who, Mm -hmm. by the way, I don't even know if they really believe most of the things that they're saying. They just know how to get cameras on them, and they know how to get. It's another thing. They know thing. how to get it's attention. Probably on their one church. of those
1: contrarian things,
2: right, too. Right, right. They just <laughs> they know. I mean, Fred Phelps, the guy who founded Westboro Baptist Church, like that was his uh, uh, motive from the beginning. Was just like trying to be as intense as possible so that they could get eyes on their church. Yeah. So that they could. It, it was. It's a marketing thing. Sure. But I, in my experience. Most of the spiritual religious people that I have met have been some of the kindest, sweetest, mm-hmm. most generous and giving and, and accepting people out there.
1: And see, I don't care what you believe as long as that's the base of your function. I right. think humans Absolutely, should be compassionate. Yeah. And, and my brother is, you know, I, I, don't, I do not subscribe to this, but my brother is a, is a pastor, of like right. a super church, not super, you know, it's medium church, but uh, <laughs> medium mega. His, you know, and his, uh, his. What's between mega and micro?
3: <laughs> Just plain church.
1: <laughs> Just plain church. <laughs> Macro. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is a. It's a fucking church, but uh, it's kind of an alternative church. He's got a like a top forty Christian. Radio guy as his worship leader, right from the two thousands. You know, he's like handsome. He's just, they all dress kind of cool. The, you know, they're, they're like a little alternative he's
2: super skateboard. Car- he's like a rock star. In yeah, his own he is. is he's is a rock star. Is, if you
3: saw is, a picture of him, is the church big enough to have like really good like production value? They have amazing and, production. Yeah, yeah, yeah better yeah, than
1: see, better than any rock God, show I've ever played. They have in ear yeah, monitor That's got, the
3: thing, man. Yeah. These churches they have the best like. Audio and video production systems that I've ever seen, dude. If you look, if
2: you look up Mevo forums, it is almost all worship related. Really? Yeah. Most like, like when I was like trying because I'm like trying to learn, you know, I'm trying to find a forum so that I can like ask questions about how people are getting the best results out of the technology. And most of what I found is people like live streaming their their worships yeah. and and things
1: like that you know and I think you know that I think as long as the expression is based in love yeah. forgiveness and compassion I think that's fucking what life's all about. We played That's our, what rock and roll's all about. Right right. It should Funny be, enough we played we played our first
2: show at a Christian youth group. Mm-hmm. And we even went to the Bible study. Yeah. And most of the most of the people at the youth group that were my age were either agnostic or atheist or pagan or mm. non-denominational in some way or non-religious in some way, and we would go because there were skate ramps and they had bands play. Like,
1: um, yeah, it was what it was the two so thousands? It was like MXPX and all that shit. Yeah. You
2: know who? Uh, you know who I saw play was the Smiley Kids, uh-huh. which was George from Four's band after Four broke up. Okay, so like. You know, we would we would have – but, yeah, they would have all kinds of, like, Christian and non-Christian punk bands come play. Yeah. And it would be super fun. And they had pinball and pool and – Pizza and, and Mountain Dew. <laughs> dude, and it was great. And we'd go to the Bible study, yeah. and it was really, like, fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. And we asked a lot of questions to have a great time. And the only time anyone ever did the whole, you know – like tried to preach or convert or, or do the whole, we're going to pray for you thing. Like Mm -hmm. the only time that happened, the youth pastor, the guy who ran it, this dude, Larry Pombianco, I'll remember him for the rest of my life. He was an awesome dude. He would ask that. He asked them to leave. These people were making the kids uncomfortable by trying to push it too hard. And he asked them to leave. He Mm -hmm. 86 them from the youth group, Yeah, you know? because that's the type of dude he was. This dude would take us out. We would go have a Philly cheesesteak at the white spot on mm-hmm. on Broadway when it was still there, you know? And we would sit and we would just talk about the stuff that teenage kids cared about. Yeah. You know? And we'd hang out and he was the sweetest guy. Yeah. I would I would definitely say that he was one of a handful of really truly positive influences I had in my life at that time. And I really, mm. I really could have used more, yeah. you know, I well, could have used great. more people who
1: taught me that being a decent fucking human being was cool. I really believe that's where my brother comes from and his whole thing. See, that's and, awesome. And, uh, and so I support that completely and, but, and whatever, and it, whatever spirituality is it's, to me, you know, maybe it sounds weird, but it's the only thing that's really given me that love and forgiveness and acceptance and Everything is rock and roll. Right, right, you right. You know, it's, I treat it like a religion. But um, beyond that, I think it's funny because rock and roll and the church have always had this weird symbiotic relationship. Right. You know, like Elvis came out of the church, uh, Little Richard came out of the church. Uh, Stevie Wonder, you know, like, uh,
2: Ray Charles, Ray Charles, most,
1: mostly what Ray Charles was
2: doing. Mostly what Ray Charles was doing that was controversial. Mm-hmm. At least this is according to the biopic, which I'm sure is full of shit is, you know, uh, playing gospel music,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, but, but using the, the style of, of gospel music in a different way yeah. that, well, that's that people the blues, got really man. upset the about. G-
1: early gospel yeah. music was the blues, Yeah. you know, and that's, that's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, that's what it became. Yeah. I
2: mean it's it's just use it. there's only so many chords and only so many notes and mm-hmm. and you're It's the, the
1: formula it's the the foundation of the formula for every modern pop song. Well
2: you're looking and at the, you know you're looking at where where did the blues originate? The Mississippi Delta, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you can go visit the house that like I'm I'm trying to think Tay went down to the Mississippi Delta on a vacation once, and he went to the house that, man, it was, maybe it was like the house that, like, Lead Belly lived in or something like that. Like, it was mm-hmm. something, something like that, you know, some little shack in the middle of uh, the Mississippi Delta. And, like, you think about what was going on at that time when people were playing that kind of music. And it was like they're going to church. Yeah. And they're working. Yeah. And then in their leisure time, they're sitting around. Playing guitar. Playing guitar. Yeah. Or or some busted up piano that's in mm-hmm. the corner or something like that, you know. They're they're playing those things and the songs that they have are the 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 hymns that they're singing at worship service, yeah. Or the gospel music mm-hmm. that they're singing at worship service, or or the the spirituals that they're they're singing while they're out working all day. Yeah, you know I mean? I, yeah.
1: I think it's interesting. Yeah, but to me, again, I I don't care what you do. I mean, I I I sort of ascribe a lot of my philosophy on life to a lot of different spiritualities. Right. Like, I, um, I, again, I feel like if it's rooted, I think a lot of the attempt at religion is based on those three ideas of love, forgiveness, and compassion. Right. I think at least that's where it starts, I hope. Well, it's like if it doesn't, then I feel like maybe it's misguided, but. Well, the way I, the way I, I try to look at any belief is, is it
2: resourceful? Yeah. Is it useful? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not useful for me it's not resourceful for me to think that there is something wrong or immoral or degenerate of people of other races or,
1: or gay people or trans people. There's or, nothing resourceful the, about that for anybody. Yeah. There's, not, there, there's no use. It's like some use. archaic tribalism that has nothing to do with. Right.
2: Well, yeah. and the sad thing is the people that do hold those beliefs – the people who hold beliefs of of immorality, and some of them are intelligent people. Oh, a lot of them like are, the, there really? are. There are scientists, you know, there are public intellectuals, like mm. really smart, well-educated people who still will hold the belief that like a certain kind of behavior or a certain kind of person is, is immoral in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and... And it's not it's not useful to them, but they legitimately in their heart of hearts think that they are trying to protect people from going to hell. Yeah. Oh I know. Like if, if if you like if you have like you have someone who's gay and they grow up in a religious household and they are, you know, they are Rejected by their family, or they're demonized by their family, or reprimanded, or ostracized in their family, mm-hmm. or some way. That is all coming from a place of them like legitimately having the fear that
1: their child. Well, is going to like burn in if hell for all yeah, your <laughs> child's going to go to hell yeah if they go to you know they go to this they're place like, they stabbed you. and right. you know <laughs> for eternity and yeah, yeah you for could, eternity yeah, you you really believe every that day.
3: stabbed every day stabbed every I don't know I don't <laughs> yeah. know how it works but for stabbed for a long time it's a
1: really nasty creation whatever that image right. is and i just don't it's funny it really has nothing to do with what is in the bible as far as i, I well know. and a <laughs> lot
2: of a lot of the ideas like if you look at something if you look at books like Say Paradise Lost, or mm-hmm. or uh, that's Dante. where the ideas
1: came from, right? Yeah. Or
2: like Dante's Inferno, came or something from a, like that. A Catholic perspective, I feel like. Well, early. a lot, a lot of those ideas. I think the original intention between, like, something like the Inferno mm-hmm. is, I think it was originally supposed to be a metaphor for encoding, um, codes of morality. Yeah. You know, it's like here are all the levels of hell. Yeah. You know, here's where the the liars and the betrayers are. Here's where the murderers are. Here's all where this is. I think that was literally just intended as being like a metaphor for
1: like, here's some guidelines for behavior. Here is a yeah, literal I that's hierarchy. I think it's also propaganda to force people into the church. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I, it's I have a dilemma propaganda. for you.
3: Do you think it's ethical to Pretend like I'm a Christian to get a really good paying job running sound at one of these mega churches. Yeah, dude. Get in there. I don't. <laughs> all right. Okay. I don't maybe think, they'll convert you. you all know? right. I don't think, well, maybe, maybe so. Why am I afraid of that? I don't I, think I don't you know. have to be. I don't think you have to yeah.
1: be. Didn't. Um, didn't. Uh, my brother does the sound in my other brother's church. My other brother does.
3: Oh. Didn't, uh, He's got a
1: crazy education in that shit now. Didn't, uh, cool. didn't John Fate
2: have a gig doing sound for a mega church for a bit? I don't know. Did he? I thought he did because we got a gig. Okay, so the gig that we did for that um, oil tycoon party, the one that I was calling the Eyes Wide Shut party. <laughs> oh, yeah, the balcony party. Or, yeah, the balcony party. So um, <laughs> it, th- this was in a penthouse at mm-hmm. um, uh, the Four Seasons. This guy this guy was a, was an oil and gas tycoon. He's a super rich dude, and he was throwing, throwing a birthday party for himself, and he was throwing a heaven and hell-themed party so, he wanted half the party to be heaven and half the party to be hell. So, on one side of the the penthouse, he was going to have like angels' food cake and mm. like. Could like they not seafood. drink on that side? No, no. They, <laughs> they had like,
1: like champagne or something. And they had a. <laughs> that would be hilarious, yeah, actually. I'm, like, I'm like, going to fucking uh, hell right sorry, now.
3: You're going to have to leave your drink in hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have fun <laughs> over like here. It's
1: like an angel
2: bouncer. But there is. <laughs> There was like a girl, there was a girl playing (laughs) harp out on the balcony and stuff. Uh And then we were on the hell side and the hell side was all hot dogs and like suckling pig. And there was a rock and roll band playing out on the balcony. And it was was super fun. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, Oh my God, where was I going? I I was explaining so much. Oh, John Fate, uh, we got that gig because the guy's girlfriend went to a church that, John Fate did sound at oh huh. so that's how we ended up with the gig. Actually, so you were
1: the rock and roll band.
2: We were the rock and roll oh, band. Cool. I dressed up like I wore the red jumpsuit and mm-hmm. I had a cape and I had devil horns and yeah. everything. And you live streamed.
3: And we
1: live
2: streamed. You live
3: streamed from the balcony. We did Good. live stream. From I the balcony. watched it.
2: It was super fun. <laughs>
3: and
1: when uh, was
2: this? Oh, it was. It was probably a couple years ago. It was right? a couple
3: years ago.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: and it was really fun. Should have gotten like,
1: us as an opener, dude. <laughs>
2: It wasn't like that, man. I know, I know. It was like first of all, Tony wasn't there. It was just we did the whole thing as a four piece, mm-hmm. and really nobody cared about the music at all. Like the original thing was the guy asked us to play acoustic, and we were like, uh. "We I don't think like he didn't it's really understand." Unplugged. That's always <laughs> yeah. a red flag. Well, he uh. didn't. I don't think he understood how sound really works because, like, he wanted first he wanted us to play acoustic. But he wanted it to sound like the music videos that he saw. Mm -hmm. And he was like, can you guys just like play Amplified but turn it down, just play in the corner? And eventually we were just like, dude, we'll just go on the balcony. Mm -hmm. Like we'll just play on the balcony. And so what people were doing is they were kind of like they would walk by and see us out there and they would watch for a minute and then they would go back to the party. Like we were literally just background noise. Yeah. And um I met Jared Polis at that party. Oh, okay. And um I really wish I had a picture standing with Jared Polis. Cause uh the 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 dude, the dude who was throwing the party introduced me to him and and he was a super nice guy, and and um And I'm, you know, cracking jokes with him, and I look like Satan, so I'm like, I pulled a lot of strings to get you elected, (laughs) so you better do well. Like, you better make me proud. And, uh, like, the the host of the party, he went to go find a camera, and then Jared Polis very wisely showed himself out because – I wonder what might have happened if a photograph surfaced online of him hanging out of with the Jared devil. Polis just hanging out with just Satan. Out with oh, that would have been way cooler though. I think I mean I, would I think I would have it him. given helped. him some
3: street cred, I think, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it
2: probably would have given him some street cred. Yeah. It would have given me some street cred for sure. For sure. But dude, he um yeah, he was he was a super nice guy and it was a lot of fun. Hold on, I got to plug this in real quick. Actually, now's probably a good time to take a break, Gordo.
1: Sounds good. Cool. I got to piss my ass off. All right. (laughs) I don't know how (laughs) that makes sense, but that really feels... That's how I feel. (laughs) I'm just expressing myself, honestly. Like I said, I'm an open book, man. (laughs) It sounds like a good title for a fucking song, actually. Piss my ass off. (laughs) You go
2: piss your ass off. Yes, sir. And we'll be right back. Like, that we haven't been uh, streaming on YouTube during this, and we are trying to figure out why... And Gordo seems to think that it is very likely that the reason that we're not streaming on YouTube right now is we've been blocked because Gordo put the Kenny
3: Loggins song from over the top on the last... I can't, I mean, I can't confirm (laughs) that. I I can't, I don't even know if it was audible on that, on that podcast. I I did get a copyright notification. You did. About something recently.
2: And I always just ignore those because YouTube is like, you don't have to do anything. And just so you know, like there has been a trademark claim on a piece of content on your blah, 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 blah. And so I've always just ignored it. But I wonder if I go back through my emails, there's something that's like, yeah, you can't play this. You've been blocked from... Live streaming. Mm. So for anyone who's wondering why this episode is not on YouTube, that's why. It is on Facebook and Periscope, though. <laughs> All right. That's happening. There you go. I, I, never thought, I never thought that
3: Facebook would be more chill than YouTube. YouTube is very... Uh, actually, they seem to be on top of their copyright game more than anybody else. They got quite a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, over th- the years, huh? They have to be the copyright police, I think. Right, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah.
2: Well, let's give a quick shout-out to our sponsors... Is that what my voice sounds like? Are, are, are people just watching, just going, ah! Are you having a meta moment? I hope the comments isn't just full of people just going, This sounds like garbage. I'm never listening
0: again. (laughs) Hello. I
2: want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, our most venerable, nay, venereal sponsor, Matula Plumbing. Matula. Matula! (laughs) Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. And Jesus, Super Service Award winner back in 2011, one one is the only one that matters. He'll wear the booties for you. If you're in the Chicago area and you got problems with your poo-poo, call the master of poopers himself and ride the porcelain king. Ayo, Derry Matula. Mutiny Information Cafe. This is a Mutiny Transmission, which is a media service division of Mutiny Information Cafe at 2 South Broadway. Mutiny is everything. Music, uh, books, records, coffee, comic books, Live events, podcasts, cereal, and no one has a larger selection of Torini
3: syrups. Nobody. No one. <laughs> every time, every time it's, it's either no one or dude, nobody. Every time I go one, you go body, and every time it's it's. Whatever. We
2: should say, you know, it should just be the same as the first one. Okay. So if I say if I say no one has a larger selection or nobody has a larger selection, then we do that same one. That makes so much sense. That's going to be the rule from now on. Uh, two South Broadway in the heart of Denver um, the, the coolest retail establishment in the state Easily I agree Yeah Place is badass Mutiny Information Cafe tell, uh, tell Matt and Jim that the boys sent you They'd never try and get you for copyright infringement. No, they don't. They're too punk rock for that <laughs> shit. <laughs> they encourage it. <laughs> TheNugNation.com. This podcast, of course, comes from the Nug Nation Studios at an undisclosed location in the Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Uh, man, we're doing a lot of cool stuff. Lots and lots of cool stuff coming down the pike here at the Nug Nation. I took Micah here on a tour. What would you think of the the studio, my
1: man? Oh, it's beautiful. It's really impressive. Except for the leaky roof. It's really interesting. (laughs) Except for the
2: leaky roof. I'm really glad the roof doesn't leak in this room.
1: I'm very, very thankful You got enough soundproofing and it'll absorb
2: some. Oh, yeah. We would just have big (laughs) brown pools up in the ceiling. Big sponges. Humidifier. Dude, you know it'd be terrible. It's if it's just like in there, just like filling up, and then one day it's like a pus pocket. Yeah, it's just finally <laughs> gonna break open in the middle of the episode, and like the ceiling is going to collapse, and we're just gonna get drenched in two years worth of rusty insulation and ratchet filled water is just going to dump down in here yeah no that's it,
3: that's it, what happened at the at cabal gallery oh that's when, what happened at cabal when we were rehearsing there yeah
2: oh
5: <laughs>
3: no way yeah i got it, it came down what you guys literally brought the roof down uh, it wasn't us it was somebody with their bathtub on the on the floor above us oh no yeah, it was bad while you were playing <laughs> Uh, It was right. It was just prior to practice So like We we were we kind of got there And we were like Looking around at the gear And everything And it was like What's going on here Was your gear fucked up Actually it was It was just A few feet away Which was like It got a little bit It got a little bit of splash Get mm-hmm. a little splash back <laughs> But other than that It was good But that happened like Actually oh, Five or six times Shit Oh shit What's going on
2: We lost the stream
3: Oh no don't don't lose the stream. Don't cross the streams. What is it?
2: Yeah, my phone died. We lost the stream. Oh, well.
3: Yeah, you know. We're
2: still having an episode. We carry on. Oh, well. Giving a shout out to our sponsors, thenugnation.com. Check it out. Uh Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios at 2721 Larimer here in beautiful Denver, Colorado, in the Rhino District. Uh,. Hourly rehearsal, rental, hourly rental, hourly music rehearsal band practice spaces. Really just an incredibly beautiful place with all the gear and all the stuff and all the friendly staff that you can shake a stick at. It's a wonderful
3: place to purchase and spend some time.
2: It is. It is. And uh, the best part is it's rocket space, so you ain't got to carry shit. Uh, Flip side music. Uh, On the Rock Block, on Acoma Street, the largest selection of effects pedals in the region. Uh, Really the coolest little jam room of any music store I've ever been to. Uh, Trained repairsmen, luthier, whatever they're called, works there for fixing stuff. Uh, They have lesson spaces so that you can... Take your little kid or your grandma or your uncle or yourself over to take a take a little lesson over there. Flipside Music is really doing some badass stuff, man. Tons really, of those stomp boxes. I really hope Tons. Cool, cool things continue to happen. Tons. The beautiful, brave, awesome, amazing souls who back us via a recurrent contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. Uh, yeah, man, you guys make the goddamn world go around. You are helping us build this thing. And as you can see by the fact that we lost the stream and that we had trouble getting the tech set up and that we keep continuing to come on this show and, and complain about our struggles as independent artists, we really need that help that you guys are sending us and it makes the difference. And if it weren't for you guys, we wouldn't be able to do fucking any of this so thank you thank you thank you if you want to find out what it's all about go to patreon.com slash
3: mf ruckus hold on a sec we shall not be daunted in our pursuit of being dauntless <laughs> just keep on ratcheting it up a level
1: you know it's just genuine it's one real. level at a time it's like live performance man
3: yeah, it, it makes it authentic. I can't imagine anything I can't hey! imagine doing any kind of scripted material.
2: It picked up the stream. <laughs> That's great.
3: Oh. Uh, even on YouTube?
2: Yeah, it picked up right where it left not on YouTube. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I, I did sh- forget someone. Evergroove Studio. Oh, God, we're uh, my bad, we're actually yeah. going up there in a couple weeks to start working on a bunch of new songs. I'm super excited about that. Brad is working on um, Uh, mixing our forthcoming record, which we're super excited about. And uh, Ethan Klein from Evergroove is here in the building helping us troubleshoot our live stream and found out that uh, we need to step up our equipment game a little bit. Give him a shout, Ethan. Yeah, we love you, Ethan. Hi! He says, that's fun. Hey, we got the stream back. (laughs) I think, I assume, I think people... Or watching it. All we know.
3: want to do is stream all over everybody. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. See, that's really gotten me into punk rock because I just
1: loved the streaming. It's on pissing people. your ass off.
3: I
2: yeah. Pissing play. my ass <laughs> off. Uh hey, you know what I wanted to talk about with the rest of the time is just how excited I am about this show we're getting ready to play together.
1: Oh yeah. I'm yep. super excited about me that. Me too. Man. We haven't uh I don't think we've ever played together before. With Fast Eddie? We have before, right? We it's have definitely
2: while. played together. It's
1: been a long time. Like we played with Six Shooter for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever played with Dirty Few. Mm-mm. Well, we were supposed to, but that got canceled. Was it Hank von Hell? Oh yeah, we were supposed to do the Hank von Hell show yeah. together. Yeah, that's right. You guys were on the Hank von yeah. Hell show, and then you guys broke up. What happened? I guess that was a while back. Well, man, that band was uh, insane. It was real. It was a real deal. I mean, we we preached the party. And we lived it, um, you know. You all have. And been you guys there too. were touring
2: pretty heavy. We toured.
1: We toured probably, you know, at least three or four months out of the year. When we tour, you know, we do all this shit that we talk about. We right. stay up all night gambling, and uh, you know, we lived other it. things. We really lived it, and yeah. um, and we didn't. You know, I feel like if you if, if you're putting it out there, we we really did it, and I think that was part of what was beautiful about it, but it was also what was dangerous about it. And right. It had a shelf. I don't life. think we would have survived much into our 30s if we kept doing what we were doing honestly right. it was it was for a time and place and i love every member of that band to death and i think that you know eventually you know maybe we'll do like a little recap event, you know sometime but for the time being we got our own projects that we're working on it it's gave a us a super space. fun band it was a lot of fun yeah. i was an honor to be invited to join the band for you know the three years i played right but um yeah it was amazing but I wouldn't yeah. trade that experience for the world.
2: I don't think. I don't think we ever did. I don't think we ever did a show with Dirty Few, but we've definitely played with Fast Eddie. We have to. I, I, it's, dude, my
1: brain, dude, they all start l- to run together. Yeah, I get it. All it. Runs together. But. That's the
2: thing. Tony Lee doesn't remember any of our shows. Really? <laughs> like there's, there's, th- like, I, I have a poor memory when it comes to the shows themselves. But even I can retrieve some things here and there. Tony. Yeah. Can't remember anything <laughs> about any show that we play. Can't remember a venue, can't remember a city, nothing. But he always remembers the people in the party after the fact. Sure. He always remembers that. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to a local buddy show. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, because it's you guys and and I've missed all of you guys, and it's all the, the trade-ins folks. It's Denver and, diehards, man. Well, yeah. and and it's gonna be a goose town, so mm-hmm. it's like Rob. It's not far enough. It's not so far. Like, I love Lost Lake, but it's just too far for people, I think. Yeah. Like, it's
1: tough to get people out there. It's tough to get people to, like, Larimer Lounge. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But, like... Well, there's always people at Goose anyway. Right. And if it's, you know, if it's a little cover to get to the next room, it's... Right. I do it. I think I'm it's like, going to be fun,
2: and I think it's going to be easy to pack it in, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really, really, really cool. And uh, I'm really glad that it worked out that you guys are going to be able to do that show too. with us, man. It's going to be fun.
1: It's been uh, a lot of our, you know, we, we've we all had like the same lineup in Fast Eddie for, well, I think we've been a band for almost six years now. But, you Has know, it been every, that long? Yeah, surprisingly. God yeah. damn. Well, we fire fire it. flies, man. It was kind of a, it was a, um, basically a side project for all of us when we started. That's the thing is when I think of Fast Eddie, I think of
2: you, I think of you guys just, just like such a new band, mm-hmm. you know? But six years—it's really
1: been. Yeah, that long. well, it takes a long—you know—it takes a long time to get your band off the ground, right? And people kind of take that for granted. But um, you know, just now we just recently started getting—you know—some international press, and we're doing that's really cool uh, touring quite extensively. That's we got a really label cool. and all that shit. So, what
2: label are you guys on now? Spaghetti
1: Town Records. What Spaghetti
2: Town? What are um, they based out it's
1: of? based out of Atlanta. And uh, our buddy, Teddy Spaghetti, sort of a play on Eddie Spaghetti, I suppose. Right, right. Um, he He's sort of like, I guess you could say like a philanthropist of rock and roll. He just puts so much great music out and really doesn't you know, get all that much monetarily in return, but he's investing in the future of rock and roll. But that's his <laughs> thing. And there's a lot of people in, like, some of us dump Maybe our, he does. Maybe, I'm sorry, Ted, maybe you're fucking balling. <laughs> I have no idea. But. Some,
2: some of us dump our money into a band. Mm-hmm. Some of us dump our money into record labels or yeah. media companies or YouTube channels or whatever it may be, Yeah. You know, that,
1: that people are doing. That's that's really cool, man. Yeah. When so, it takes people like that, or like what you're doing here, it takes people to really push it and try you know, maybe even get advertisers or whatever and shit like this or with barf. It takes people to really put that effort forth. Now, right, nobody's right. gonna do it for you. Right. So Right. Um so tell me about
2: some of the touring that you guys have been doing. Like where where have you guys been going? Like what have the results been? Like what have been some of the highlights of the last last year?
1: Oh, um well, so in October of 2019, just you know, this last year, we went to the East Coast and we did we did a run up. It was more than just the East Coast. We went up to the Midwest, went up to Milwaukee, Chicago. How long were you out for? We were out for basically a month. Awesome. And then we went all the way down to the South. We came back through Texas and went back, you know, straight up through the Southwest and How was the response? It was great. It was more than we ever expected. Honestly, we didn't. It's amazing th- to see. That people actually listen to you. Right. You know, the places you put music out there. And then we, you know, there are people that showed up at these shows that knew all the lyrics to even our old album, which how, I was how like, well, get, how the fuck did that happen? How, how
2: did you get distributed to these people? Is it just all people that found you online? Well, or the, the you know, some was of them had been
1: following us for a long time. But, and now um, I think we, we got kind of a surge because we started working with our producer, um, Tuck Smith, who's the singer of Biters. Oh, wow. Uh, That's yeah. really cool. And so they. What's that been like? It's been great. He's been sort of a um, like a mentor for us, and uh, we didn't realize how fucking sloppy we were until we started working with a really good producer, right? But um, and you know he's got his own band now, Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, and they're touring with Motley Crue, holy shit, coming up soon, and Joan Jett and that whole thing. But he, uh, honestly, he whooped our ass, and I don't, I think we needed that. Um, but he, he's a very. Uh, you know he believes in the spirit of rock and roll, and he fights for it every day. And he he took us under his wing, hardly knew right. us, and really bolstered us up a lot. So
2: there's um there's something that's that's an interesting conversation, which is um, so I, I I went ahead and subscribed to uh, Finn McKinney's uh, podcast, the Punk Rock MBA guy. I subscribed to his podcast cool. and uh, Skibiki, Gene Skibbins. Uh, sent over an episode to me and he was like, dude, you got to listen to this episode. It's, you know, super like interesting and disheartening at the same time. And just like, he interviews this guy and I I can't for the life of me remember the, the guy's name, but he's, you know, he's a 20 year old kid who is like some alternative rapper guy and or you know that's the classification that a lot of people put him in but he's really just he's just a weird kid making mm-hmm. like emo EDM hip hop punk rock music just like yeah. you know the weird shit and that no, people are no into rules. yeah mm-hmm. and he's been doing it since high school he produced all his own stuff mm-hmm. you know recorded it all in his room and puts out stuff that is like you know, has a very active, you know, ha- a very active social media life, and and has produced stuff, and and now has a million followers on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing. The they're... conversation that they were having was about how the new market is just really about authenticity, even if it is of a poor quality, and people responding to. You know, maybe not the super slick press photos and the super th- slick live spots manufactured, and people, right, and people are yeah. more interested in in like authentic stuff that's kind of kind of a lot more well, DIY. There's a million
1: achieved. bands that can get super professional quality photos and right. dress themselves up and right, you know, act the part now, and and I think that that's not super appealing to people anymore. But then, but then you're also talking at the same
2: time of your experience working with a qualified producer. Yeah. And, you know, you look at someone like like Billie Eilish mm-hmm. who did all her stuff, you know, with her brother in their house, you know, recorded yeah. at home and is fucking winning Grammys and shit. Sure, Is that the new way or is that a flash in a pan kind of thing or is that is that a sign of change that means we're going to see the end of producers and professional studios or are we going to see the industry come back to... We could record an album on our own. Sure. No problem. Mm-hmm. You got a interface and some good mics and the We've software. We've done that. Yeah. yeah, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But there is something about going up to like a place like Evergroove or going to a nice studio mm-hmm. and recording and doing and doing really good shit or like in your case, working with working with a knowledgeable and competent producer who yeah. kicks your ass and whips you into shit. Well and shape. the thing is
1: though too, he's he's DIY too. He did everything with Biden. I mean they had Earache as their label for a while and but he uh, we go we, we drove all the way out to Atlanta to to record this and it was a treacherous experience just getting out there because you know we were broke and right right we poured every little bit of money we had on our own to try and do this. It was like one giant leap into a new territory. But we went out there, and the um, engineer, Dan Dixon, is just a genius right? that we worked with. But he's he works in a garage. You know, the studio, the actual space of the studio is the same size as these two rooms right here. And right. tiny, it's in the back of his house. and Right. You know, so it's it's humble, but you get really big sound out of it. and Right. Um, yeah, I mean, Evergroove isn't,
2: like, the studio isn't a huge structure. Yeah. You know, it's two rooms, but... You know, I mean, they have rad fucking gear. Yeah. You know, and it is like designed, like the 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 design behind it is just amazing. It's a yeah. beautiful place. But, I gotta
1: check that out, dude. I've been looking the for shit. some new places. To do dude, Evergreen so. is the shit. Man.
2: Yeah. It's 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 up in Evergreen, so mm. it's like. Gorgeous views. You get a nice little like,
1: repose from.
2: Well, dude, you, it's it's like a retreat that's mm, forty five minutes do away. Some Crosby Stills Nash shit, dude. It, <laughs> it's like it's like the totally,
1: yeah. dude. It's like
2: it's like the Caribou Ranch yeah. on a budget, man. Uh, cool, like, but it's a really, really. I mean, don't let it, don't let that statement fool you. It's a uh, really, really nice. Oh, spot. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm and sure. um, you know, I've thought about before, like. You know what if what if all we need to do is just send stuff back and forth and make our own album and then just send it somewhere for mix or send I've it somewhere thought about for that master too, and
1: it's of it can be it can be like wow man i busted my ass we we put so much into getting this production really put our heart and souls into it put our lives at risk to be able to do this shit and right. uh, we come back and then it can be kind of like wow this chick just Put something together in her basement with her brother and now she's winning Grammys and it could be like, right. whoa, what the fuck? But at the same time, I mean, every artistic experience is different. And I right. feel like, um, you know, it could be it could be a flash in the pan, could be fucking the rest of her career, and I don't know. I, I respect the fuck out of that. But yeah. We I, also we grew as musicians and as a band and I don't exactly. think and now I really I want second opinions all the time on my music now, right. now that I've worked with a producer. And I started doing production on my own with my buddy R.O. Cole. And that, to me, it's just so cool to be able to collaborate with more ideas, more people, and then the best idea wins. You know? Right. But that doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. That's just something that I appreciate at this point in my life. So.
2: I, I feel I feel like the role of a of a really competent producer or engineer is they are going to have developed their skill set with the tools sufficiently that they can help you realize the ideas that you have in your head.
1: Exactly. And they can save you They're e- not trying to make you into something else.
2: Right. They are you are paying them to save you time on stumbling
1: around in the dark and trying to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe sometimes an outside perspective Can understand your vision better than you. Right. And in a way that's objective and uh and in a way that's technical. Yeah. Like way more technical than we had any fucking. Dude, for for so
2: many years, I had trouble communicating what I wanted something to sound like. Mm -hmm. Like I would try and describe the quality of the sound when In all actuality, all I really needed to do was find the right reference material and bring it to the table. And the engineer or the producer knows how to create that sound that I'm looking for. Well,
1: and I think that's it's also working with the right person. Because Tuck really knew what we were. We started writing this music. And it's different than we didn't even really plan on going in this direction. But we started writing more power pop, kind of thin, Lizzy, cheap, trick-sounding stuff. And that's his wheelhouse completely. And he was the person to craft that sound he knew exactly how to do it right and had spent years and years and years doing it so it was the right person for the right sound and i think right. that's the right producer for that band and i don't know it'll be hard to navigate into a new who uh, steers person. who steers the ship for fast eddie are you the band dad yeah i am and it was mostly out of necessity uh, we started really, somebody had to be band yeah, dad. yeah and we started as very collaborative and we just kind of wound up stagnant and you know waddling around in the mud and I I didn't want to be that person because I was that person for six shooter for years and, right. and then you're the bad guy. I feel like. You know, like you, you get you get the brunt of the blame, you do a lot of right. you do a lot of work and it doesn't it's kinda of thankless. Well it's also it's but, also
3: really It's usually thankless. It's yeah. My,
2: <laughs> it's also difficult to enjoy the fruits of your labor because it is never going to be proportionate to the amount of work that you've put in. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. When it band- well, maybe it will. Band-dadding band- dad- is tough, man. Yeah, yeah, man.
3: I was thinking the other day, like, it's amazing. The You really have to think as a band dad mm-hmm. about the work that you do that no one ever ever sees yeah like not yep. and we're not talking like you know your audience but like your own band members oh yeah mm-hmm. like they don't know like i was thinking about that the other day like that's i was having this conversation with my wife because i was really irritated and, and that's how it happens no i feel you <laughs> i feel you <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like you know it's like uh she's like well have you ever just like sat them down and said this is all the stuff that you, you know they do i'm like have, but they still uh, don't see it that way <laughs> yeah and i mean i've done that too but like i hadn't done that lately Mm-hmm. Well, you and know. just
2: talking to people about their behavior isn't necessarily going to change the behavior. No, and then it, they, they oh, oftentimes no. It, no.
1: It, it, it instigates more defensive. That, that, that's, on, that's uh, in the thing, in my man. Is
2: like it's fine and dandy to tell people how you feel about something,
5: mm-hmm.
2: but people are who they are and they're going to
1: make the decisions they're going to make. Absolutely. And they might – Especially if they're a bunch of diehard rock and roll stubborn ass motherfuckers.
2: Well, I mean I don't even think it it comes down to being like necessarily stubborn or or, uh, willfully obtuse in any way. It's Mm -hmm. just like we behave the way that we behave. We have our model of the world until something comes in. To sufficiently convince us that we need to change in yeah. some way it's it's having it having a conversation with someone and telling them how you feel it might make little micro changes. it might help them to be aware of something. it might help them to be more mindful in the future, mm-hmm. but it's not like you're going to have the conversation and the behavior is going to cease completely overnight. no,
1: you know? and, and
2: it's it, a it, conversation it, you have to keep having and you have to
1: Keep yourself from taking personally when it doesn't. And it that's doesn't something. Fix over you. And that's something that um, I I think it, it it's constant practice and effort to learn how to be an effective leader. And okay. uh, that's a it's it's something that I didn't really understand before. But that's you know, and in six shooter, I just sort of stopped because I felt like they didn't appreciate what I was doing, and I was a little bit more resentful and naive back then. But um, so I just stopped. And then, yeah. you know, Mike Rose has even talked to me. You know, our, our old guitar player in that band. Fuck,
2: dude, I love Mike Rose. Yeah, he's
1: my boy. Mike's a champ. We've,
2: I we've played together, love Mike Rose. We've played that together since we so were good.
1: 16. We were in a band
3: together when yeah. we were little kids.
1: Oh, no uh, way. That's yeah. cool. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. That's his... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, he came up to it's me okay.
3: at the lion's lair, and he's like, Gordo, I have a confession to make. I don't have any tattoos either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like yeah. you are the best, dude. He, I love my. He did Rose talk room. to me
1: about it, and he was like, he he's totally. He's like, he's like, honestly, he's like, honestly, dude. <laughs> like, honestly, you're a really good dude. band, man, band leader, and but uh, and he was like, you know, I understand. I didn't really understand what you were doing, this is, you know, as him talking until you stop doing it. And I think sometimes that that was a lesson I was trying to teach them at that moment. But then that made that band disintegrate. And yeah, um, there's and yeah. For me I, it was kind of like a relationship I had to move forward from. There's there's but.
2: also there's a part of you that is like insecure and isolated by the work that goes into it and the mundaneity mm-hmm. and the and the frustration oh, yeah. that goes mm-hmm. into it. And there's a tiny little childlike part of us that Wants to be reassured and yeah, thanked, I, I really want and that, acknowledged sure. and appreciated that's, on a regular basis. But your bandmates aren't going to do that. No, they're not they, going yeah. to tell you every day like you're awesome. Know, but we the, appreciate you so It doesn't so mean that they.
1: It doesn't mean that they don't. Yeah, either. Once but in just a not while, him. they might. Mm-hmm. But that's like. That's it, actually I've been struggling with this quite a bit. So this is really relevant. But uh, like I said, learning how to be an effective leader, I read a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, I read, really like, The Art of War and, yeah, and man. Uh, Lao Tzu. I read, really like, uh, The the Dao. Tribal Leadership? Yeah, and, like, things like they say good. that, like, you know, an effective leader, if you're an effective leader, people won't even notice that you've done anything at all. Right. Or they feel like they did it. Right. And But it's letting go of your pride in the situation and understanding that, like, I may put in all this work, but that's my job as a leader. And I accepted the duty, and I have to— Right. Uh, humble myself, which sucks because I'm a sensitive person and I, ex, you know, I need validation often. Right, like right. We talked about right. But letting go—that's something I'm constantly struggling with, and I have to just remind myself that these are my best friends. They do work their ass off for what they do in their own facet, and I'm inevitably going to have to do more. Well, and forever. and not that they
2: don't—they do a, a shit big, ton, I'm, but you know. Well, and. Jeff Campbell from Three Kings. Actually, I was venting to him about this many years ago, and one of the things that he said to me is, he was like, he's like, dude, they'll do their part on the stage. Yeah. He's like, he's like, their contribution comes on the stage.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, and, it, well, and, and it's where like, are you going to find better players? Right. That are the right players for that project? Right. You know? And we
2: worked together for a reason,
1: and. I
2: do what I do in the band because I'm the most suited for it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I take on that responsibility. And part of my responsibility is to create opportunities and moments which are exciting enough as to compel them to To want to be involved.
1: Yes. You know? Exactly.
2: It takes a lot to convince Tony Lee to hop on a plane and leave work and leave his family and leave his Chicago, wife and fly yeah. and, and and fly out. He's moved here from another state twice. yeah, you know to. Hey man, come out here and surf the couch and work at a sandwich shop because of some crazy hair-brained idea that I've talked to you yeah. into. you know? Mm-hmm. And so my job is to create the
1: opportunities that makes them want to show up mm-hmm. and, and take ownership. That's of them. happened back and forth with Barf or, you know for years to try and keep, you know, it, the biggest our staff was like 15 people. Right. And to try and for me it was this big altruistic revolutionary vision right. in my head. And to get them to believe in that, honestly, right. because I did. But it's that infectious but you were belief. Spe- you
2: were speaking to them in
1: your language, not um, theirs. Well, yeah, and sometimes they'd fall in and out and they get frustrated. And I would just be really resentful because I'd be like, dude, you don't understand? I put myself in debt for this. Like, I'm still paying off credit cards from this shit. Right. I'm like, uh, I was in the hole with Joey for a while. And I've had my reputation on the line and all this shit and like, Whatever. But, but that's you know, not
2: going to vo- motivate anyone no, to, no, that just, to show up on their own. No, They're no. just going to be I, like, I'm defensive. just going to avoid text messages and phone calls from mm. him now. Or I'm just going to stay out of the situation because it's uncomfortable and I feel and maybe, guilty about what he's done.
1: You know, maybe we're both still trying to learn this, but maybe the best way to inspire them is to just lead by example.
2: That, well, that's and, something that I, that's a conclusion. I had a period of time where I was really trying to pull the guys to stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was really trying to hammer a lot of things home.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And what I eventually had to do is I had to learn how to humble myself and to let go and just focus on leading by example, and
1: I, modeling the way. And, I've and it made has mistake, made a difference. I've made the mistake of dismissing their concerns a lot in the past. Right. And uh, especially with Arj, you know, bring up all these things and all this stuff. And I'll be like, I'll be like I got it. Like, don't right. worry about it. We're fine. Everything's fine. Like we're moving forward. I'll be like the mom, like like right. sort of like the but mom him, in s- situation is like, oh, honey, everything's fine. It's all gonna be good. Look, we did all these things. Think about but, the positive ends of this, and but, then, but
2: all, but all that does is it invalidates hi- him, and then he, yeah, like him expressing his concern is a way of taking
1: ownership, exactly, you know, yeah, and then I get frustrated at almost like. Uh, defensive or protective of my vision because I feel like maybe he's encroaching on it or something, which is fucking bullshit. I shouldn't do that. There's, there's, yeah, there's
3: always, and it's always like, you know, if you've done so much work, whether, whatever it is, like booking or whatever it is, and then like and somebody comes in and has a different idea about how to do it, it's just like, well, why don't you fucking do it there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know that whole feeling like, feel that your defensive, like the defensive and- tendency to just like oh, say, fuck it, man, you just do this shit. Yeah, and
1: the, but at this <laughs> in the in the same way though, like can you is there a way to inspire them to actually take off some of the load? And be like, Well, if you have all these ideas, then go for it. Do yeah, it. Yeah, well, here's but, here's something you know, here's something that has But then has, again if they did, maybe I'd be pissed. <laughs> you, you know,
2: you know See, what? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You know what? I've I've had to, I've had to listen and pay attention, and like I know that Logan will show up at, at his best when he's got a pet project of some sort. Like if he booked the show mm-hmm. or put the event together, or he. He arranged whatever it he is has the some opportunity ownership with him. In right. That situation. right? That's his thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or like when I'm more thinking in terms of like what he wants and what yeah. he thinks is cool, and stop treating him like a supporting character. Mm-hmm. You know. By the way, happy birthday to my best friend and uh, bass player and buddy. That's really Logan your O'Connor. birthday. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Logan. Yeah. yeah. Actually, right before we went on the air, Logan sent a text message. To a group of us that was just like, hey, Becky and I celebrated my birthday last night. We're super hungover. We're not doing
4: anything <laughs> today. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so yeah, so happy birthday to my buddy. But um, like one thing, Logan and I had a, a conversation. I think it was on the R. Allen Brooks episode where he expressed that he didn't want his character in the comic book to just be the strong guy. He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, the big guy's always the strong guy. Yeah. He's like, May-, and I'm like, and I like kind of picked up where he was going. And I was like, oh, sometimes the big guy wants to be the one who can fly or wants to be the one who's the telepath or wants to be the
1: one that could shoot lasers. That's some fucking ninja skill. Right.
2: And he's like, exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, he... Typecast or something.
2: Right. Like. And, and that's the thing is, and to me, that was like a little clue of like, you know, or like the times... That he has booked a show or something like that. Those have been clues to me, of like, oh, these are times I should get out of the way and stop trying to be the the dictator of the group in some way, and and yeah. you know, set up these opportunities back, and, right? Yeah, stepping back and so let – so hard
1: sometimes because because yeah. it's it's your baby on one level, but it's also like. It's, anxi- it's like being an overprotective parent. Right. You're like, if I let this go, then it's going to get fucked up and I don't want to, you know, it's what like I scary. Have, right. What I have found helps
2: is over the last couple of years, we really opened up our songwriting approach. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and I opened it up where it's just like, look, we're going to play everything. Mm-hmm. If you bring an idea to the table, we are committed to seeing that idea to fruition. Again, don't dismiss right. their
1: contributions. We're not
2: going to shut anything down. And I know, you know, unfortunately, things that have driven people away at different points, you know, like you talk about not seeing, you know, what uh, what you see me doing is not, is not even half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tay actually early on in the Hot Apostles they had a song that – That was about us, dude. Yeah. It was about us not taking what he was doing seriously. And Mm -hmm. it was like, there's a line in it that says, what you see ain't half of what I do.
5: Mm -hmm.
2: And I remember when I realized that that, and that was like, That song came from the time when we started having our falling out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fortunately now we're friends again. He's coming on the show next month. I'm super excited to have him. And I, you know, I've always loved Tay. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that he struggled with was the fact that people were shooting down ideas and people would have a shitty attitude and Mm -hmm. people would throw uh, and people would just disregard the work that he and I did
1: well, and see, like this is something I'm learning a lot. Um, co-producing in the studio right now, Rocky Mountain Recorders right. for my buddy R.L. Cole's new project, and uh, with my friend Tyler Hayden as the engineer, and uh, it's it's amazing work they're producing. But I've been learning more about you can only gain more from more perspective. Right. You can only it can only make the song better, it can make the vision better, it can make it more dynamic, more broad. And you know, there are projects that are complete dictatorships that are phenomenal. Right. You know, like uh, Well,
2: but they hire those people to, to see perform their vision, through.
1: their actual
3: right. vision. Right. If you
2: are going to be in an ensemble with another group of creators, it's like That's the point is that right. you're collaborating. Right. And, Someone has to steer the ship. Mm-hmm. That that's one thing. We also got nothing done when we were a straight democracy. Yeah, we got nothing done. when well, that's we were exactly a straight what happened with yeah. us. So somebody has to steer the ship. So mm-hmm. I have taken charge of that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I did, or that we did, or or and, and that I tried to foster was like, you know, Queen played everything anyone brought in. Yeah, Chicago played everything anyone I mean, brought look in.
1: Look how dynamic. Queen is.
2: Faith No yeah. More yeah. Uh-huh. brought played everything that anyone did. That mm-hmm. song um Be Aggressive mm-hmm. or Uh I oh, Swallow. That's one of my favorites. Dude, Be aggressive is one of my
1: favorite Faith yeah. No More songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um or the fucking Beatles. Dude, or the Beatles. <laughs> Every single everybody member Everybody contributes. Yeah. And, and you so, know it's the Beatles. <laughs> dude, and <laughs> since that
2: happened, Logan sends me stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony sends stuff. I send stuff. And although t- Ty is not as much of a songwriter, he does have a ton of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, that he shows up and he's like, so check this out. This yeah. band did this and this band did That's this. And this is a I fun thing. Think, you yeah. know? And so then it becomes this fun thing, and it's not like, we're just kind of standing around waiting to see what fucking Aaron tries to talk us into next. Yeah. You know.
1: I struggle with a uh, you know, it's it's a hard balance. Again, I struggle with. Trying to be really respectful of all of that and then trying to steer the ship. There's a difference between – because if you're steering the ship, you're not the reason the ship is moving forward. Right. It's a fucking ship. Right. You're just directing the course of the energy, right, in right, a certain right. direction. And, and if something They have to believe in you. The rest of the people have to believe in you, and that's an agreement that we, we've had to make. And they – well, Devin at one point told me, he was like, you're the only one that can do this. You know, it's like we need somebody to do this, but we delegate tasks. So I put Devin in charge of money. Right. We all put Devin yeah, in charge of money. Yeah, Ty's the money guy. For and the then most we part. put, well, because I'm a fucking nutcase, I'm not responsible for money. <laughs> Don't whenever put we're m- on, Yeah. Whenever we're on tour,
2: Ty gets all the money. I can't no, Ty Devin, Devin
1: is like a fucking calculator. He's got all that shit. Right. And he would never violate that. And if he did, he would be accountable for it. But, uh, and then Leo does merch. Leo could sell fucking your own shirt off your back. He's a fucking right. genius with that. I
2: always ask Logan about shirt ideas mm-hmm. because he owns a thousand shirts. Yeah. Like I helped Logan move once mm-hmm. and most of what we moved was clothing. Like yeah. he has he he is a connoisseur of apparel band shirts. Well, not yeah. just band shirts. Like mm-hmm. like Logan enjoys fashion. Yeah. Like he Me likes too. He likes hats and mm-hmm. rings and shoes and jeans and shirts yeah. and different things. like Love that. Like, he enjoys the finer things. So anytime there's a shirt idea, mm-hmm. I go to
1: Logan and I go, is this cool? Yeah, Leo is the fucking man with that. Right. He's always had vision with fashion, with ideas, with designs. You know, right. he was like a tagger. He's a graffiti kid. He knows his shit with, uh, you know, how to bridge gaps between cultural ideas right. and shit too. And, um, and I... Uh, you know, it's, there's no better team, I think, that I could work with. With you've always with you've always family.
2: belonged to groups that have have your aesthetics down, like have like Dirty Few, and I don't know who is responsible for the branding with Dirty Few, but mm. Dirty Few's branding is awesome. Fast Eddie's branding is fucking awesome, and I know it's not very punk rock of us to be sitting around talking about branding, but fuck, dude, it makes oh, yeah, a difference. Punk rock as
1: hell. Yeah, it the make, make some fashion. Yeah, make something cool, art, man. Expression and, um, yeah, and that's something everybody has their own aesthetic and style in each of those projects. Same with Six Shooter. Right. Um, but again, I think though, too, that's something that shouldn't be dismissed is, uh, the appearance of the, of what you're doing, the brand, the style, the aesthetic. It's like you got to dress for the job that you want. Right. People aren't going to take you seriously if you come up to the fucking show and, you know, if you show up in cargo shorts and flip flops. Right. Like, would well, you, you open... want a server at a cool restaurant to, or like a nice restaurant to come up in fucking flip flops and cargo shorts with like a stained t-shirt, you know, like Well,
2: right. And that's the thing is like is like you'll have you'll have artists, bands, micros, I'm not who, looking uh, at you. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have you'll have bands who on one hand you know, are going. I don't want to be a sellout, or I don't want to do any of that inauthentic shit, or blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then on the on the other hand, they're sitting there going like, "Well, why am I not getting any gigs? And why aren't people coming to shows? And why aren't exactly. people? exactly?" And it's like, "Well, you haven't you haven't shown them the way. Yeah, you know, well, you I haven't left just, any breadcrumbs it's for like, them. Do to you find.
1: care? Do you show up to a wedding with you know those those clothes? Or, you I know, showed the...
2: up to a wedding in a sleeveless old dirty bastard t shirt." And drunk out of my mind and a friend of the bride gave me a tie to put on with mm-hmm. that. And I had the handlebar mustache and I'm all greasy and unshowered and gross. Lost a girlfriend over that one, I actually. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I stood up like a sore thumb and it was rude. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, I mean, the wedding example is perfect. But, like, like, I work for a very successful restaurant. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it has its branding down and Mm -hmm. has, like, people know what that company is about and Mm -hmm. they know what the company's values are. They probably believe in the vision behind it. And everybody stands behind it. Yeah. Like, dude, like, working for that company is fucking drinking the Kool-Aid, man. Like, people, it's got a little bit of a culty thing to it. Yeah. It really does. But it's because they've got their shit dialed in. Yeah. They've got their, their mission and their vision and their values and all that dialed in. And I'm telling and that's you. that's what separates it from other restaurants. Dude. And as soon as I started applying some of those principles, and I mean, I, I learned those before. It, it, I think I was actually attracted to this company because I had gotten my brain dialed in in that way. But mm. as soon as I took the band and started thinking more deliberately about our mission, our vision, like our values and and the beliefs and, you know, kind of what we stand in and what we stand for, things have changed with this band. Yeah. We've had more success. We've had more opportunity. Mm-hmm. We've had more loyal fanship. And I feel like it has made everybody
1: in the band, it's deepened everybody's commitment. Well, you guys have been just tenacious you know what I mean like you've never given up on this and I respect that a lot I really appreciate I mean. that Thank no you. absolutely you always you know it's like uh, no matter what if you know chips get down or whatever I've always seen you and these band members who are you know phenomenal musicians and like you believe in what you're doing and you keep moving forward Well, and I think that that's and it takes a lot of compromise and sacrifice to do that with the same people too
2: you know a- actually that that is a As a little aside here, I was really surprised and stoked that that interview with Oakland Childers turned into a full page thing in the Westward because really all I said in that interview is shit's been fucked up, but we're still trying and here's some other like I literally did that interview driving into work. Like we just talked on the phone for my whole morning commute Mm -hmm. and then he transcribed it into something. And there, you know, there are things about it where it's like, like he mentioned the, uh, he said the whole thing was inspired by that Randall Carlson video, which I had seen for the first time, maybe a month ago. So, you know, and you know, there, there was a few things in it that I wish I had communicated better because he can only write that's, what I tell him
3: the way it always goes with right, journalism right. and but getting your ideas across I was across.
2: so <laughs> blown away that 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 they published that article that really it wasn't it wasn't about a release like an album release it really wasn't promoting a show it really wasn't promoting anything like he asked me for some things that they could hook it to and I was like you know, well, we've got the, the release and we've got these shows coming up and whatnot. But really, like, that whole article was just... I was being completely honest about pushing through the resistance. Yeah. That was it. hmm And um, I still... I mean, it came out in the print edition, which is like a
1: huge honor. That so is... That's kind of a theme, I feel like, is pushing through the resistance. I mean, at least through this podcast. You know, it's like that... The resistance gives me energy to fight, you know, like gives me uh, motivation, you know, gives me inspiration. Like the idea that um, I'm like the feeling from somebody that I'm not enough or like this project isn't enough or it isn't good or it's not like to me, I'm like, I know it's fucking, I believe in it. I'm going to keep going. Even when I, this is the
2: thing we talked Mm -hmm. about when you go into your depressive slumps. Yeah. I push through even when I stop believing in it. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. I do stuff. I show up for this podcast some weeks mm-hmm. when I am seriously entertaining the idea of giving up the war. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing is I I start thinking about that. I start entertaining that idea and going, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Just quit. Yeah, just shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Just like the people that do believe and come to the shows and the people that do buy our stuff just go, "Yeah, sorry, I'm done." Uh-huh. Or or the people who have invested in projects or the people who have who have put into this or my bandmates who have sacrificed their time. I don't think anybody would get terribly mad at me, but it just seems like a piss poor Character arc for one. Yeah. It seems like a, it's, it seems very, uh, it seems very anticlimactic to the story of my life. Yeah. And yeah. it seems disrespectful and, and yeah. rude and kind of a bitch ass way out. I'm to sure be that that's frank. how
1: my, uh, a lot of my magazine staff feels. You know, because it's just been on the back burner completely, right? For a while. Well, and it, there's that, a difference between stopping and quitting. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I never really. I, I know it's there. Right. And it, it it will come, and it'll come back. And if they want to be a part of it, then they can. But like, you know, like I do think so, you should
2: do a podcast. Now yeah. Seriously,
1: <laughs> I think you should. Uh, like, well, maybe we could collaborate. Yeah, totally. National. Yeah. Well,
2: I, yeah. uh. National Lampoons, you know, started out as like the magazine, and then it bridged over into the National Lampoons Radio mm-hmm. Hour, and then from National Lampoons Radio Hour, all those people went on to uh, Second City and and started doing Saturday Night Live and yeah. shit like that. I'm sure you know you've
1: noticed I mean? even in in any sort of media publication, uh, people want to be interviewed. Like I've we we've, we've gotten like people that were huge on our magazine that you know like yep. Like, that were icons and inspirations to me that were just like, email their press agent or whatever, and they're like, yeah, sure, Monday. Or we'll get press oh, yeah. pass or anything. Dude, like,
2: people are more willing to come on this podcast than talk about me, uh, talk about my band or do anything for my band. Yeah. You know, like, oh,
1: completely. People
2: yeah. are just so, s- like, they're so honored by the idea that you wanna hear their thoughts on something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when we had Blaine Cartwright on here, He would not shut up. Mm -hmm. He had so much cool stuff to say. Yeah. He had so many stories and so many thoughts and so many... Like, dude, I could barely get a word in edgewise. And it was one of our most fun episodes.
1: That was like... It was great. Just he and I just sitting in a room, just shooting the shit. It was fucking great, dude. One of them was, uh, you know, we got like... um, we got jello by afro on there i was actually
2: going to ask you about that
1: mm-hmm. he was really he's still very motivated to contribute to that and right we we actually pulled him on as a uh basically an unofficial contributor to the magazine um or he claimed like unwanted or something like that we were poaching him just like as a, as a gimmick or whatever but uh you know he was one that i pulled him in and it was impossible to set up this thing with him for a while and um yeah actually it was funny. I was in uh, I was in Macy's trying on a pair of pants and you know they were too tight and I got them like halfway up and then I got a phone call from San Francisco and I answered and it was like, "Hello, this is Jella for calling." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> "Apparently my press agent has been completely blowing it on getting in contact with you." <laughs> so anyway, um we're playing with Reverend Horton Heat on Monday if you feel like uh, you know what is it, uh, Micah plus plus the you know plus one. Uh, we'll see you there. And you know I went up and I was like you know it took a while to corner him and to wrangle him into where we have a conversation and right. even to get photos. And uh, and then as soon as we opened up the forum, you know the you know whatever he just wouldn't stop. And then finally I reached the end of the questions in my interview, and he was like, "Well, that's it." <laughs> You don't yeah, have yeah. any more questions for me? Oh, it's yeah. like, I'll make my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like,
2: Actually, it, it's funny that you mention that because he is like, he's on the top of my short list of guests I want to get on here. Because mm-hmm. he, um, he and I had a conversation when he saw us play with Nashville Pussy.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And he could not have been more gracious and, and kind. Oh yeah, he walked yeah. away with one of our records. Mm-hmm. He was super nice. He's really, he asked Tony creating. to grab me. He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, I want to meet your singer. He seems mm. like he's got a lot to say, and yeah. he's a really, he's a really interesting guy. Bring him mm-hmm. over here. And Logan's all drunk. This is great. Logan's all drunk, and he's like listening to Jellybean offer talk and realizing that that's the way he talks. That he's no, like, no, he
1: that. is that person. He's that. It's that, not a fucking act not a character. Not that's at all. He is. So, like, and it can be intolerable for some people <laughs> as far as I've heard. But, I, I, you know, we've created somewhat of a bond, I think, as interesting characters, So Dude, I, I'm, he, is, he is definitely on my short list he's of people want to get on the show. He's very supportive of this kind of shit, too. Well, he's he su- he really diehard
2: DIY shit. Absolutely. He was in that um, uh, band called Death documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because— because he is insane about collecting rare records, mm-hmm. and so he just was on for like a short little bit to talk about his knowledge of the rare record find mm-hmm. you know and and like the trajectory of how death kind of ended up reemerging in people's consciousness and things mm-hmm. like or not reemerging emerging for
1: the in the first in the first place, you know yeah, I think he's one of those people that Again, it was the same thing with Reverend Horton Heat. I did an interview with him too, where it's it's amazing. You just open up that window, and then just shit spills out, and he won't stop. You know, it's like trying to corner him to get him to fucking talk with a project, and then as soon as you give him that fucking podium, he's just whoa. Especially especially if you give him
2: unlimited bandwidth, Mm -hmm. and you just have a convert. Like what I what I have found on here is is what is really working for us. Is just having
1: a conversation and seeing where it goes. Those are my favorite interviews with Barf. Right, but, and that was then you you hear shit you wouldn't have heard otherwise. Like with right. with um, Jim, I guess Reverend Horton Heat. Like we sat out in that you know the green room outside of uh, of uh, Globe Hall. Right. It's like a it's an airstream, and we just sat out there and opened up this window, and it was like Grandpa just telling stories, would not stop. You know, it was amazing. Dude. Have you ever gone to a long Reverend Horton Heat show? Like
2: when I went and saw. For yeah, Logan. I've
3: seen him a few times. It's, it's pretty so pretty cool. amazing.
2: When you go when you go to a long Reverend Horton Heat show, and they have no time limit whatsoever,
3: mm-hmm.
2: all he does is tell stories. Yeah, I saw him with. Um, He's yeah, like your old grandpa, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, it's we went pretty out. Cool. We went out for um, uh, Reverend Horton Heat. Uh, Red Elvis's and um, that Unknown cool. Hinson I, I love Unknown Hinson At the Hinson. Tower Theater <laughs> in Oklahoma <laughs> City We went out there for Logan's mm. Bachelor Party And half the fucking show Was just Was just Jim Mm-hmm just telling stories about the other bands mm-hmm. that they're on tour with and telling stories about Unknown Henson and mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you another Jimbo story. He talked yes. a
1: lot about, he was like, he talked about Unknown Henson. It was really funny because obviously it's such a fucking ridiculous character. it was an awesome yeah. character, but he was telling me, he was like, he was like, yeah, we really appreciate having him on the bus. There's other people we tried to bring on the bus, but they're just too big. Not right. big, but you know, like, Annoying, basically, I think is what right. he's trying to say. Right, right. He says that uh, Unknown Henson is just a very gracious Southern, uh, very
2: uh, the impression I get from Unno- The impression I got about Unknown Henson from seeing him at the merch table and like hearing some of his con- commentary on stage mm-hmm. is he's he's just this very sweet, kind guy who wants nothing more than to just entertain people and make them happy and yeah. and just he sat down at the merch table and he shook everybody's hand mm-hmm. and and he did um he did that song your boyfriend is gay yeah. or your man is gay or whatever and at the beginning of it he's like he's like he's like this song is not a political statement none of my songs are political statements ever yeah like he was just like and he got it out of the way right there mm-hmm. he's just like he's like this isn't, it's just a song. It's just a silly little song. Yeah. You know, and the, the impression that I get from him is he has no malice in his heart, and yeah. he's just, he's a very sweet dude. Yeah. And he's a fucking hell of a guitar player, too, believe it or not.
1: Like a telly guy?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. dude. Yeah. He's, like, he's like a flat-picking fucking telly Chicken-picking. Yeah, dude, oh, he's that's really cool.
3: good. you I've, ever seen him play, Gordo, Unknown Henson? No, no, I've heard, I've heard a lot about him, though. Yeah. yeah. The, what, um, like, what have you heard? I've heard that he's just a fucking amazing performer. Yeah, mm. he's a lot of fun.
1: I will say it's funny because, uh, you know, everybody gets this impression of like rock and roll shredders is the most amazing guitar players of all time, but they so discredit country players. I feel like that's like Jerry there's a Reed. degree There's a degree of skill and knowledge that you have to learn to be able to do chicken
3: and shit, and really? it's oh, yeah, so dude. fucking incredible. That Danny, like, Danny Gatton shit is mm. just fucking nuts. Like it's I love crazy.
2: Jerry Reed, and yeah. like Jerry Reed is such a ripper on the guitar, and he's like singing while he's doing all his. Oh, crazy yeah. people think things. it's
1: like oh, country music, three chords, whatever, simple. But it's like goddamn, those players are un- unbelievable. I don't believe
2: anyone, and in, in fact, I have a distrust for any of those people who are like. I like all music except country and rap. Right, yeah, I, that's true. I've heard that, like that so per- many times. the person you yeah. – and it's always someone in high
1: school. Uh-huh. When you're in high school, it's like, it's like, I like everything but country and oh, rap. I was that kid, too. I was like, can't spell crap without rap. Right, all right, right. And then, I, you know, fucking rap is more rock and roll than a lot of rock and roll. I know. It's, <laughs>
2: it's punk as fuck, dude. It's like when NWA fuck. came out. Yeah, fuck fucking, the cops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, uh, but I, I remember working one night at some bar, and, and I'm I've worked on – being so, uh, adversarial behind the bar. I, I like my job now because I only have to bartend once in a while. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't be, be behind the bar full time anymore. I just, I
1: get is it that social shit we've been talking about. No,
2: you know, I don't have, I don't like being stuck in the same place. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm working and I feel like when you're working the bar, you get kind of trapped. But I also I don't like being snapped at. I don't like when people are overly I don't like inebriated. Being a, a fucking
1: servant to right. some children.
2: <laughs> I don't I don't mind serving uh-huh. people, but I don't I don't like serving highly intoxicated people. Yeah. You know
4: well, I You just, don't drink anymore.
2: Huh? And yeah, and so I get a I get a little uh, I get a little snarky with people, and I have a tendency to. It, and I've worked on it, and I don't do it nearly as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was working at the Monkey Barrel and there was one guy there who was a regular and he was kind of drunk and he was just like, I hate country music. And I was like, you hate it? You summon the emotion of hatred mm-hmm. for a specific genre of music. I'm like, have you heard all the country that there is? It was yeah. like, what is it in
1: particular that you hate about? Oh, it's
2: just all twangy. Also, it's and like, a- do
1: you hate Neil Young? Yeah, 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 Do you hate, like, I don't it's know, like a really Buffalo you, Spring, you know, whatever. You, I just didn't believe him.
2: And um, I was like, what I think. Do you hate the
1: Rolling Stones? Because that's a fucking country. country.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. People like, usually mean they, you know, they hate the idea of... Country music, or they hate the idea I think they're of talking rap about rap pop music, country. and they have and they have an idea in their head about what that genre is, and they don't know shit about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I
2: and I think that most of it is they are trying to tell other people something about them. Yeah, they're trying. It's, it's they're trying
1: to have some sort of a contrarian opinion, which is annoying to me. Like people that say they hate the Beatles. I was just or they gonna hate say the that. fucking Doors, and I'm like, okay, you're wrong. Yeah, they're, you're wrong. Like the Beatles completely revolutionized pop and right. rock and roll there's no way that any of the music that you you you're going to say like oh i hate the beatles but i love oasis and it's like or like i hate the beatles but i love queen and well, it's like you know it's like it sounds different but there's those bands wouldn't exist if like, I have also
2: noticed that and and i've mentioned this before too that punk rockers and metalheads and anyone who is like bound to any sort of musical subgenre that they're very protective of, and their identity is really wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the, many people can be, yeah. uh very uh, very elitist in their musical tastes
1: and contrarian. And, well, that's an, yeah, exactly, that's
2: a huge thing. <laughs> and and like, you know, I work at a place that is jam friendly. Like, mm-hmm. I work at a place where the owners love fish. They love Grateful Dead. And they I love widespread with panic. I with that. And they love all this stuff. Mm. And hey, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I, I can respect but it. But I, I listen to it and I go, like, Sarah was giving me shit not too long ago because I mentioned a desire to go to the Oysterhead show. Mm -hmm. And she starts ribbing me a little. Like, she goes, Oysterhead, I don't know who that is. And I go, it's Les Claypool, uh, Stuart Copeland from The Police, and Trey Anastasio from Fish." And she, like, kind of starts chiding me a little bit. As soon as you say Fish, then everybody's like, Then she's (laughs) like, well, I hope someday you meet some nice Wook girl so you can listen to all your Wook bands and Mm -hmm. not feel blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm like... Oysterhead isn't a fucking Wook band. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. Like, she gives me shit for being a Ween fan, you know? She's like... And I'm like, they're not a jam band. They're not a Wook band. And even if they were, it's not a big deal, you know? Sure. It starts. To,
1: yeah, so, I... know, like, that's one thing. I, my friends, I feel like... Well, at least with Fast Eddie, that, that we've always kind of had the the volition of, like, uh, if it's good, it's good. Yeah. And we, you know... Like, like Arge is actually surprising because Arge... Uh, you kind of look at him and you think he's like really into like stoner metal, and that's it, or something, or like no, metal you know, shit, or I've, like
2: I've never gotten that impression. But about he Arch. knows
1: more about just about any fucking genre of rock and roll or music right. than anybody I've ever met in my life. Like uh, it's it's amazing. But that's something though too. It's like if it's good, it's good. And I've learned to just completely kill that bias, that right. mindset, and for myself, and listen to a pop song or even a crazy overproduced. It, you know often when i say pop i'm talking about the song structure right not the the genre of like no you know, like what? like traditional pop form yeah like. not like kesha or something like that but like even that my roommate has been rocking this kesha album and like i can appreciate if it's a good song and there's fucking some good songs I, you know uh, what I mean lady, it's like I don't Gaga I'm not Lady Gaga's the shit Lady Gaga's, Gaga's Gaga is bad is the, the, shit. Shit. the fuck ass I I, uh, yeah. I I put up a post recently
2: in response to all the people who are hating on the corn the Faith No More tour and my I'm just like watching just post after post of people
3: just like yeah there's a lot of shit posting just a lot of shit posting and I get it and it makes Faith No More fans look like total dicks I
2: know yeah. dude and I'm like looking at that and I'm just like Man, fuck it. I'll watch corn play.
3: Mm-hmm. Like earlier, watch- earlier, you were talking about, like, uh, Mikey, you were talking about like the social anxiety and stuff and mm-hmm. like just crowds and shit. I had more anxiety, like, buying that ticket to that show, about <laughs> thinking about walking onto the floor of that. It's just like,
2: because
3: oh, yeah. I, I don't go to huge shows like that. Like, maybe once. I prefer once, big shows like that. Yeah. Once every, like, year or two maybe i'll go to a big show at the pepsi center like that and i'm and i just you know as i was about to click the button i was like but you have to walk out there with all those people i was like oh my god and then like and i was reading the same comments and you have to walk out there with those people right right it's like oh okay that's the thing man
2: is it's like it's like you don't have to suffer through uh, that experience. That's so funny though. Yeah. like you, uh, can, you can choose to learn something from the experience. A lot of it is people get their street cred wrapped up in it and there are injunctions and attributions associated with your subculture.
1: It's so funny that there's such a dogma. And this is something that I always tell people. For a bunch of anarchists? Well, when I see this, and I see a lot of posts on, <laughs> on Facebook, and I really don't try to get involved in anything on Facebook anymore. I'm very inactive in that medium. that medium. I, Good I'm for kind you. of an Instagram guy <laughs> now. But, um, I, you know, if I am, I'm pretty neutral. But when it comes down to, like, some of the, you know, like, vehemently punk rock kids – that are my friends that I love, but they'll they'll post some shit that's just like if you like this, you're not punker. If you do this, you're not punker. Like fuck all these hipsters walking around, and I'm like, dude, you're a fucking hipster. Yeah, you collect records, you wear fucking alternative clothing, you do all this shit. It's like, and you're elitist. So you're exactly what you're fucking accusing Ex- them of. Dude, I. But been- also, you know what is not rock and roll. Rules. Throwing shade. <laughs> you know what's yeah, not rules. rock and roll? Is fucking rules. That's yeah. not, like, how do you have such a dogma about something that's supposed to be alternative? No, I agree. I, and and I've, been, I've been fucking flying that flag for a long time of just, like,
2: like, anytime I hear someone referring to someone else as a hipster, I'm like, what specifically is a hipster? It's such a broad term. Yeah, you know, I'm, like, like, I'm, like, I'm like, what is the action of, what is the process of hipstering? Yeah. I had a guy come in when I worked at the Overland who said hipsters took the place over and ruined it and called me a hipster and all this shit. And I'm, like, I'm like, what is a hipster? Yeah. what What is hipstering? What is the problem? Mm. And then, of course, the guy stumped me because he's like, this right here, mm-hmm. what you're doing right now, you're being a fucking hipster. And he was right because I was...
1: Being smug and condescending. Well, you know what? He's being <laughs> condescending and smug too, so is he a fucking hipster? It, no, exactly. It's like, it's so fucking broad and it doesn't even make any sense to me. It's like, okay, what entails Is Like, do you, like, okay, is it that they collect vinyl? Is it they like specific, they like a lot of deep cuts of music? Is all it that they like right. dress differently or something? It's like, dude, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the all same things. fucking thing. No, you're
2: out, at, you're, when, when you call someone a hipster, you're outing your your you're outing your feelings of inferiority and insecurity about being irrelevant. Yeah. Like that's that's what it is. Is you call someone a hipster because they know something that you don't know or they're tuned into something you don't
1: know and you think that that makes them or an you asshole think that, and or maybe you in some think way. that they're like following uh, a commercialized trend. Right. But it's so dude you're following a commercialized trend with your fucking overly studded jacket and you're fucking, you know, it's like you, that right. was commercialized a fucking long time that's ago. That's the thing. They're the and same not like that's not cool. I think that's fucking cool too. But if you want to grow out a fucking lumberjack beard and if but that's you're what just you're talking the, about, like who cares? They're the, they're the other side of the hipster coin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You like, want to call, you want to fucking talk shit about whooks and like look at fucking Keith Morris. Yeah, Like, you know, you want to talk <laughs> shit about white dudes with dreads. <laughs> the motherfucker's got, like, balding-ass dreads down here with I the know. giant fucking hippie cat. He's one of the most punk rock people in history. And he's super you know? PMA. Or,
2: like, um, uh, all the, like, New York hardcore dudes who became Hare Krishnas and yogis and shit like that. Yeah, Or, or you know, actually, not even just New York hardcore dudes all over the country. Like, mm. the, the guys who, like became spiritualists after being involved in that this is uh, you mentioned books another interesting thing is working in that world i get to hear them all call each other hippies which is fucking hilarious dude uh-huh. like there's the guy who like loves bluegrass and he's making fun of the hippies that come in and 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 the you know the fish heads are calling people hippies and the the deadheads are calling each other hippies and the widespread panic guys are calling each other uh-huh. hippies and it,
1: it's it's really funny. Oh yeah, it's really funny to watch. Yeah, it's the same thing. as like, oh, you're fucking crusty. Get the fuck out of here. Or you know, like you're a, uh, you know, in the in the punk rock world, I guess. It's like, like what what club are you in? Yeah, and it's like it, it's again, and just like the, the, the what the are nature, you? Just like the nature of the world. Everybody wants to focus on each other's differences, as opposed to like, okay, well, you're talking shit about crusties. You're talking shit about hipsters. You're talking shit about punk rock kids, street punks. You're talking shit about seventy seven kids, fashion kids, or like you're talking shit about. Gangster rappers and all this stuff. I'm like I guarantee you, every single one of you motherfuckers likes to stay up until five up five in the morning doing cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking do it together. You'll probably have a good fucking time. <laughs>
2: like, that's, hey, that's hilarious, dude. I I like all kinds of music, and when I say all kinds of music, I'm including pop country in yeah. In sure, me like, too. When I hear the song "International Harvester," I sing every goddamn word, mm-hmm. man. I will crank that shit or like. Big and rich, save a horse, yeah. ride a cowboy, or I like '90s fucking
3: pop country. I team, like huh? Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks, how are you, dude? We had Matt. I like Kobo's. every type of music except for country and around <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, I have to get out of here. I have a meeting. Yeah, but a- I just wanted to say thank you for coming. Yeah, man, and thanks it for was, having me. It it's been great a blast. to chat with you.
2: I think this is actually probably a good time to probably a good time to segue out. Let's wrap uh, up. yeah, oh, let's wrap okay. let's wrap up the show together, man. Oh, okay, cool. okay, Um right. so. Uh, first off, can, uh, just give a quick, uh quick plug, let people know, you know, what you got coming up, what you're working on, what people should be keeping an eye on. Oh, out please for. do. Yeah. yeah. No, go
1: ahead. Go ahead. Give your... Oh, okay. Um... Where they can find you. Oh, okay. So, as far as we go, uh, I play in a band called Fast Eddie, and, uh, we're on Spotify. It's E-D-D-Y, not E-D-D-I-E. Yeah. So, Fast Eddie, uh, and... Um, I also run a publication in town called Barf Magazine, uh, and you know we're kind of on a hiatus, but we'll be back. You might notice some uh, around Denver. You might notice some barf boxes lying around, There's newspaper boxes with. Barf it's a great scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, and then so anyway, uh, that those are my biggest um, things now, and uh, I'll be around town, and we're playing a show. Fast Side is playing a show with Emma Frucus, uh, Aaron's band on. Uh, what is it? This? March
0: 7th. March 7th the Goosetown at Town Tavern. With the tavern. Yeah. yeah,
1: with a bunch of really good old friends and it'll be a rock and roll time to so come fucking hang. So stacked bill. One of one of
2: the ways uh, the way we close out every episode is I put you on the spot
5: mm-hmm.
2: and ask you to name a band that Maybe a friend of yours, or just someone that you think deserves a little extra love, mm. and we will tag one of their songs on to the end of the the audio version of the podcast when we release it.
1: Okay, the- could that be anywhere in the country? Any anyone you want? Okay, my buddy, uh, my buddy's band, the Whiffs. The Whiffs. The Whiffs. The Whiffs. They're ph- phenomenal power pop. W
2: h i f f s. Yep, the Whiffs. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to plug the whiffs onto the end of this episode. Can Micah, I. it's been really great having you sit down. I think this is the most we've probably ever talked I him. agree. Yeah, I love it. It's been great. It's great, It's dude. been kind of therapeutic, I believe, as well. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, that's, that's the best part about it is yeah. it, it gets me out of my head and sitting down with my friends and having a good conversation, man. Great. It's great. And uh, I'm serious. Start a fucking Barf Magazine podcast okay. <laughs> and have me on as a guest sometime. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, cool I see could see use
1: y'all's, uh, y'all's expert guidance. Yeah, we'll help you out. Fun.
2: So uh, this has been episode 95 of the motherfucking podcast. Here with Micah Morris. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling your friends about the show. Thanks for tuning in on the live stream. We are getting it dialed in, I promise, little by little every week. Uh, yeah, man. Hopefully we'll figure out what happened with YouTube. We'll get there. Uh, until next time, I'm Aaron. I'm Gordo, and uh, we'll catch you on the flibbity flop.
1: Bye bye. Peace out.